does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So, Jimmy, I have a question for you, Jimmy Cook, that has really nothing to do with the Colts getting set to take on the Atlanta Falcons. It really has nothing to do with the fact that Purdue's the number one ranked team in college basketball. It has nothing to do with the fact that the Pacers last night limited the Charlotte Hornets to 113 points. Hallelujah. Fewer than 150. There's a step in the right direction. W. Or the fact that they've got back-to-back and they won. Has nothing to do with any of those things. I applaud your Pizza King t-shirt, which is awesome. Thank you. Right? Now, have you eaten at a Pizza King? Yes. There is still one in existence in Carmel. Do they still bring the drinks in a little train? So the one that the one on Bluff, I believe that's still open on the south side, and that still does the train drinks. The one at Carmel does not. Okay. Eddie, have you been to a Pizza King? I have indeed. Which one? I've been to the one off of Bluff Road. I've Did been they, to the one in Whiteland. Do you ever have food that makes you feel nostalgic like you're back as a child? For oh, me, yeah. that's Pizza King because yeah. Oh, yeah. many a time they would have like N64 or GameCube video games set up in the booths at the one on yes. Southport Road. And me and like my niece and nephews or cousins would get together and just there's something about that crumply sausage. It's not like a the so sausage best is pizza, great. but the sausage no, is, right. is delightful. Now, I, for me, that would be, and I think there's still one left on 10th Street, but Noble Roman's Pizza I think between the ages of five and ten, I probably went to ten different birthday parties at Noble Romans where you could like look through the little window at the people yep. throwing the dough, <laughs> and they had the old black and white silent movies playing. It was awesome. I'd go there all the time with my family. My mom has a sister that lives on that side of town, so anytime we were over there, we'd get together at that Noble Romans. Did you watch the guys throwing oh, yeah. the, and the me- gals throwing the dough? It was the oh, best. Yeah. Yeah, that's what me and my brother and sister would do. We would uh, order our pizza, and while we were waiting, we would stand there and watch them make our pizza. So here's the question that I have. Pizza King, by the way, still open in Rushville and Greensburg. Everybody's blowing me up now as to where Pizza Kings are. Compton's Cow Palace in Shelbyville. Like, I want a Cow Palace t-shirt. I might drive to Shelbyville later today just to get a Compton's Cow Palace t-shirt because when we lived in Shelbyville, same thing, the nostalgic nature of it. But the question I was going to ask you is this. Today is Thursday, and we are the 21st of December, correct? That is correct. I believe personally, and I I, I raised this topic last year when we came back from Christmas, because last year Christmas was the biggest buzzkill ever. And I know we are obviously very fortunate, and Christmas is is a magical time. Can you elaborate on that? Did I forget Christmas last year? Exactly why it was a buzzkill. So Christmas last year if you recall, was on a Sunday. Oh, yes, yes. Which, I get it, that's the day of this, I mean, from a from a theological standpoint, that's perfectly fitting, Christmas Sunday. Correct. I get it, right? First of all, but, yep, yep. But also last year, if you remember, and this is why it was a huge buzzkill, by like Friday, they were predicting last year like a polar vortex cyclone bomb or whatever the hell it's called for Christmas Day. So basically everything by that Friday was just for Christmas Eve was closed. Like we had my favorite tradition we do every year. We go to the Newfields lights on Christmas Eve at eight o'clock 
We FaceTime my friends in Australia because it's like Christmas Day for them and, you know, Merry Christmas and everyone's taking pictures for each other like total strangers wearing the hat and gloves. It's magical. And and you couldn't do that. Like everything was like shut down. Everything that your your normal Christmas Eve traditions last year were preemptively shut down because it was so cold outside. And it was like, come on. And then Monday morning, you got to go right back to work and you got a whole week ahead of you. So my question for you is, what is the best day of the week for Christmas to fall? I would argue that the best day is probably on a Friday because you're going to get the Thursday off as well for Christmas Eve. So Christmas Day on a Friday, Christmas Eve on a Thursday. Okay. Eddie, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would probably agree. Or Tuesday. And then you get to double up the next week because most offices are going to have New Year's Eve off, so you would get Thursday and then New Year's Day off okay. Friday as well. Eddie might be onto something here, though. Tuesday's solid because here's the thing. Can we just agree to this? Christmas Eve for most places is not an official work holiday. It's usually a half day, right? Okay. Everybody punts it. Everybody. Correct. A lot of people punt this week. And the day after Christmas is punted, right? Yes. Even I'm literally punting it. I'm taking off. Even if you come in the day after Christmas, it's it's like skeleton crew and it's basically like I'm here because I have to be, right? Yeah. So it's a I mail think, in day of all mail in days. I think the best day would be Thursday. Because you For day you, or Eve. I apologize. For Christmas Day. Okay. If, if Christmas Day is on Thursday, then at the very most, you're going half day on Wednesday. So you got you have two and a half work days. Then you're off Thursday. Almost anywhere is going to say, you know what, since Christmas is on Thursday, yeah. we're closed on Friday. So now you get Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and half day Wednesday. Eddie's kind of onto something, though, on the Tuesday aspect of it as well, because if it's Tuesday... You're automatically now Monday's going to be out the window. So you go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then probably punt Wednesday. But the, I guess the other side would be, do you want the days off, the free days off, do you want them on the backside of Christmas or the front side of Christmas? In other words, do you want it leading into a weekend or coming off of a weekend? Leading that, in. That, yeah, I would agree with you. So, And then the other thing, too, I, I always forget what day it is. Is it today or tomorrow that's – and I think it's kind of played out, Festivus. Is it played out? I think it's played out. I think it comes and goes. I think, like you said, last year where Christmas Day kind of felt like a wash. I feel like Festivus, it ebbs and flows depending okay. on the vibe of the year. Festivus is the 23rd. I thought for sure it was the 21st. It's but, the 23rd this year, which is good because that that's a Saturday, and then we don't have to have like every show doing like their, call in with your grievances, right? By the way, if Christmas was on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. New Year's Eve would be Monday, and then New Year's Day would be the that's, following Tuesday. That's what Tuesday. I just said. That's what, yeah. that's what I said. You double up, right? Yeah. So you get the second week. Like you get, it, It's balanced if you do it in like the middle of the week, because then you're having two straight weeks with short involvement in terms of work capacity. That's from Paul the Mailman. Clearly, none of you work for the United States Postal Service. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. I'm telling you, man, Like people, people love this stuff. Is there a right answer from the Postal Service's angle? I think the Postal Service's right answer is uh, everything between December 1st and January 5th sucks. I think that's kind of the answer yeah. there, right? Yeah. Although I will say this, and then we'll get to talking about the Pacers last night, okay? I have, and I'm going after the show today. I, look, Jimmy's already getting prepared for his applause. Well, I, I know. I felt weird blindly jumping in with the applause. I need to know what it is. I have 
one item left to purchase, and that's it, and I'm done. Nice. Well done. And it was delayed by Amazon. No, but I finally said, you know what? I'm going out and doing brick and mortar. And and when you go out and you shop at brick and mortar stores, you realize more and more with each passing year why nobody ever again shops at brick and mortar stores. Yeah. Like it is like pulling teeth and literally calling in, you know, the 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 Texas Rangers in order to find somebody to help you with customer service. If you can. yesterday I went into a store, I kid you not, I went into a store. Now, I hope none of my family members are listening because they're going to know who I'm shopping for and what I'm about to buy them. But I went into a store yesterday and walked in and said, excuse me. And they said, yes. And I said, do you carry women's gloves? And the girl looked at me and said, I'm not sure, actually. Did you see any? That's great. I love that answer. (laughs) Like, And I don't don't blame a customer service person. In a smart aleck way, she was asking it like, I don't know. Do you want to team up and see if we can find them? I don't know. That's why I asked you. Like, what are we doing here, right? I mean... do you ever have the moment? I needed to call Mark Furman because I couldn't find gloves anywhere. Do you ever have the moment where there's something you want on a shelf if you're still going brick and mortar style, but they don't have the size, but you take the walk anyway to the clerk to be like, oh. hey, do you have this? Even though you know they don't, if they did, it okay. would be out there. L- let me tell you something. I went to a major, to your point, I went to a major sporting goods store. I was buying shoes, okay? And I took... There were kid sizes. I don't know. I don't understand kids. It's been since I've been a kid that I bought. I don't have children. So you know what I mean? So I I take the shoe off the wall. I find the one clerk. I have to walk like literally halfway across the county to find the clerk. I hand him the shoe and I go, hey, is there any way that And I'm looking at the sheet? It says here that I need this in like a, a kid's seven. I don't know what that means. He looks at me, gets out like his scanner thing, scans the barcode, turns around and walks off. Okay. No dialogue? No dialogue. Okay. Not a word. All right. Two and a half minutes, three minutes later, he comes out with a box, hands it to me, and walks off. I open it up. I'm like, I, I guess this is the size. Okay, that looks like the size. So then I go to the register, set it down. Two different size shoes in there. Th- they did have the right size. Darn. But I said- Who guess? So the guy rings me up, and I said, actually, you know what? I need a gift receipt as well. Can you put a gift receipt in there? I don't know how to do that. Okay, well- can you put a receipt in then and I'll tear it off? Well, um, hang on. Calls the manager over. The manager goes, I'm sorry, sir. We can only do gift receipts at the register, that, that register right there. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, it sounds to me like you're going to be moving me over to that register and ringing me out so I can get a gift receipt, right? So they, they get me the gift receipt. Okay. First, you ask for a beer on the tap because you don't during, want it out of the During all this time. Or the can. During all this time. That one's tough. The, the door to the mall, the mall is closed now. But this Anchor Sporting Goods store is still open. So I go, oh, did the mall just close? Yes, they close at 9, we close at 10. I go, oh, okay, well, can there are still people milling around. Obviously, the stores are closed, but the, the walkway of the mall, because I'm parked at the other end of the mall. <laughs> no, you got to walk around. <laughs> they made me walk outside and walk around, which is fine. I'm a, I'm a totally able and capable. But But I'm like, so if my mom was by herself, you would make her leave and walk all the way around the exterior of the mall? Steps are important, Jake. I, I mean, Regardless come on, of age. Man. Common sense. So what you're saying is, is you're going to have the next cold in here. <laughs> this That's was actually saying? like a week ago. I did survive that. Oh. Th- that I can survive. Sitting in here you in the, in the amoeba dish that is the two of you with all the petri, petri dish? dish. Yeah, of the, the petri dish of the colds flying around is I'm probably a different here. story. Okay, so last night at the Fieldhouse, Pacers winning over Charlotte. Uh, now the question becomes, what do they get tonight in terms of the back-to-back? 
and did they prepare themselves for the back-to-back? Now, Eddie, you pointed out, when it comes to the starters last night, one of the benefits, I guess, of kind of getting a runaway game like that, you did what you needed in the fact that you could kind of keep some guys fresh and perhaps they spared some people for tonight. Yeah, I mean, when you win 114 to 113, most likely your starters, you're not going to see significant amount of time. And out of the starting five, uh, Bruce Brown and Tyrese Halliburton played the most minutes, and that was 28. Uh, the others, Buddy Heald, 26. Miles Turner, 25. Obi Toppin played 23. Uh, Benedict Matherin also played 28. So they're going to be relatively fresh tonight in what's probably going to be like a playoff like atmosphere simply because of Job Morant's uh, first game at home in Memphis since coming off that 25-game suspension. So, yeah, I think it was critical for them to play as few minutes as they could last night just so that they're fresh for the second night of a back-to-back on the road. I hope, by the way, with them playing, and I know that he has obviously become a pretty polarizing figure. And John Morant, is a tremendous talent. Tremendous talent, unquestionably. But I do, you know, there are clearly some issues with John Morant, right? And he, you know, and I don't even know if, I have no idea. I may be saying something that's like the most common knowledge of all time. I'm not even certain. But he definitely, um, when he was away, I think he did go to a rehab, right? And has had some some personal issues, I think, that, that just stem very deep. My point being, he's a tremendous talent, and, and I think that we get lost sometimes in how the behavior or the chemistry or the background or the, the discipline or lack thereof of players affects us as fans, as broadcasters, as fantasy basketball players, whatever it might be. Uh, And there is an element of, you know what, if somebody has some really personal demons, you want that to be taken care of first and foremost. And I hope that those demons for John Morant were dealt with and that he was able to work through those. Same. Um, He's a wonderful player. There's no doubt about it. He has absolutely, without question, some things that you hope he took care of because he was writing, Jimmy, I think, right razor thin, a line of potentially getting himself removed from not just the fame and fortune that comes with the NBA, but just a lifestyle and an opportunity for himself and his family. And he was I, as good as he is, man. He was. I think he was writing it close there. To be honest with you, he was. He was getting close to extinguishing opportunity. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's why the league levied what they did, but we're still in a lot of regards, supportive of job, but yeah, 25 games is what he winds up missing. Hadn't played an official NBA game per his account in eight months. He stressed post game after he hits that game winner against new Orleans, that a lot of hard days that he went through, but basketball in a lot of ways is therapeutic for him. It's good to be back on the floor. And yeah, even if Pacers Grizzlies aside, not just because he's a talented basketball player, but from one human being to another, yes, you hope that this whole stretch of turmoil that he's gone through that he was able to find clarity and find peace and is on a better path now in terms of what's on the floor. The Grizzlies are a bad team without him. They went six and 19 through that 25 game stretch and they look like a completely different unit just by inserting him out there. And they do have some good players like Desmond Bain is a very talented commodity. Like they have good pieces in Memphis, but 
without their star, much like with the Pacers. When you take away Tyrese Halliburton from like a health standpoint, when he has to miss, they take a step back. This should be, as Eddie mentioned, a playoff-like atmosphere in Memphis tonight. They have not seen their superstar in eight months. They feel like this is a critical stretch to get back into a push for a playoff spot over the next four or five months down the regular season as we cross Christmas Day. And they don't, outside of jobbing on the floor, score the ball at a very high rate. They're like 20 points behind what the Pacers usually give up in terms of points per game. You add Ja back in there, and it's going to be any other fight against a superstar-like player that the Pacers have had tests with already, Milwaukee, Boston, etc. I'm looking forward to this one. This is another great opportunity for the Pacers to show where they're at, both from focusing on star players and playing good basketball on both ends of the floor. Are you fired up, by the way, for tonight's Thursday night football showdown? Who's even playing? Oh, that's an excellent question, Eddie. I will give it to both of you in trivia form. How's I know, that? I know one of the teams. Here's okay. a good Eddie. I'm gonna I'm gonna find out. Don't no no cheating, no looking, Eddie Garrison. Okay, okay. I've not looked either. To be clear, I just remember one of them now. I told a story yesterday. I think I told it on the air. Maybe I didn't. About the time that I spent a week in an NFL city because I had gone down to cover the final regular season game of an NFL season. The team that I was covering was defeated and thus theoretically eliminated from the playoffs. But about 30 minutes after the game ended, another NFL game swung in the final minute, thus allowing the team that I was covering to be re-entered back into the playoffs. That's always fun. And their opening round playoff game was a road game against the very team that I had just watched them play on the road. Thus, I stayed in said city for a consecutive week. Instead of flying back, they were like, just stay down there and cover. Since you're going to be back down there in six days, stay down there and cover the other team for the week. What two teams am I talking about? That are playing tonight or that are the Rams are playing tonight? Correct. Well, I'm glad you answered my trivia. Thank you. Sorry. So, Eddie, who's the other team? Uh, I was covering the Rams in St. Louis. And they, in the year after that, they won the the year after they won the Super Bowl, they started out six and zero. They were scoring a gabillion points, and then Kurt Warner got hurt. Trent Green came in. They won three of their final ten games. They finished nine and seven. They got a wild card, and they played the wild card round and were beaten. Where in the location of the team that they're playing tonight? And I told a story once on the air of Christmas Eve. I was in this city. And wanted to get something to eat. And the only place open was a CVS. And Kurt Warner was standing there. And he was looking for a candy bar. And I said, you want to go walk with me to CVS? And he goes, okay. So we went walking on Christmas Eve. I've heard this story, yeah. Through the streets of this city. That would be New Orleans. That is correct. Saints and Rams tonight. Thursday Night Football. And I'm not even certain. Gross. Well, those are both teams fighting for playoffs. I was going to say, are either of the two of them in playoff contention? They Sa- are, right? Saints are still I mean, in the race for the South, and the Rams are still there, I believe, in the wild card hunt. Yes. They are both 7-7. Seven and seven, Yep. Right? Yep. I mean, the NFL just has that, what do I call it, the vat of mediocrity, right? You're just kind of stuck in it, and you're trying to find your way out of it. it it's tough, man. I mean, the, the Rams and the Saints are two prime examples. The Rams did what a lot of teams probably – can appreciate in the fact that they mortgaged their future for a Super Bowl a few years ago and traded away everything 
and and pushed all in, and they won. I mean, it paid off for them, right? But we knew the day after that, everybody in America was saying, boy, the Rams win the Super Bowl. Congratulations. Cool for them. They got an awesome stadium. They got that shiny new trophy. They went out. They got Matt Stafford. They delivered. But, but those chickens are going to come home to roost quickly because that was there's your nothing to come quote. home for. That was what, your direct quote, wasn't it? What's that? Something along those lines, Probably. right? I mean, because there weren't even chickens to come home to roost because they didn't have any eggs. They had nothing in the incubator because they, they mortgaged everything. So here they are now. They're seven seed if it ended today. And what are they going to draft? I, I mean, 16th, 18th? Probably. Gets you a nice lineman out of Mississippi State, right? <laughs> Probably as and well. And Matt Stafford's getting up there. Listen to this. Bucks 7-7. Seven and seven. They're in that NFC South race with the Saints, who are also 7-7. Seven and seven. Falcons are 6-8. and eight. They're likely out of it this week if the Colts put them to rest. Six seed would be the Vikings, who are 7-7. Seven and seven. And then you have the Seahawks, who are 7-7. Seven and seven. So there's all these, like you mentioned, vat of mediocrity teams My, through I mean, the four through seven seeds. Dude, how about this? You know who the four seed right now is in the NFC? Yes. Because I just read it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the Bucks. Come on. I mean, I get what you just said. It. The the Bucks, Bucks, Vikings, Rams, Seahawks, you, that, that all that whole list you just read off. Gah, right? I mean, it, it, the Eagles are a five seed right now. And 10 and 4. I love divisions. I, I mean, look. I do really love divisions, to be clear. Like, I know there's some people that hate them and think that they're stupid and that it's not fair for teams to go 10 and 4 and another one to go 7 and 7. I love the havoc of that. I love the idea of being a division winner and getting a home game. I mean, Philly is clearly backpedaling. But that's the thing about the NFL. It is so... You know... The league really is. I remember the Colts used to, when you'd go into the Colts' workout room, you'd go into the Colts' training rooms, they would have up on the wall the schedule, and it was broken down into quarters. First quarter of the season, second quarter. And they never got – that kind of was a Tony Dungy thing. And it it worked. That formula worked because you never got too caught up in any one way of – you, you always felt like if you were playing really well, you didn't allow yourself to get too high. And if you were on a, a backslide, you didn't get too overly concerned with it because, well, we, you know, we got another quarter now. We, we, we put that quarter behind us. We go to the next one because the league really is that fractured. It is very difficult, very difficult to – it is amazing. Amazing. There are incredible things that have happened in this city that we may never see again. The we'll never again see, and I know that yesterday they announced like a huge $600 million renovation towards it, and I hope that it works out. I really do because it's been a crown jewel for downtown for a long time. But I don't know that we'll ever again see packed shopping downtown Indianapolis at the Circle Center or whatever its newest formation of it is going to be at the holiday time. It's probably a thing of the past. I don't know that we will ever again see you know, the like the nightly news and all of the stations racing to do a 40-minute post-game Sunday night show for, all, you know, all of the teams like you used to have 15 years ago locally on local television. Those things are probably a thing of the past. There are so many things. Life goes on. Life's undefeated. We're never going to, you know, we won't see service merchandise again, and I don't know that we'll see packed steak and shakes ever again. Life changes. 
one of the things that I don't know that we'll ever see again, not only in Indianapolis, but certainly in the NFL, it was an automatic with the Colts for like a four-year stretch that they were going to start out like 13-0 every year, 12-0 every year. They at least got to double digits seemingly every year. With the parity of the NFL, it is now set up and structured to prohibit exactly that. There is no it is totally designed for it to be as challenging as possible for teams to get out to those kinds of starts. And you look at it right now, wire-to-wire teams. I mean, you would say San Francisco, if they're healthy, has been wire-to-wire the best team. They really, San Francisco is really the only team, and maybe Baltimore, that hasn't had any sort of snafu or games where you come off of it and go, man, they've been really exposed. Every other team in the league – has a weakness, has an Achilles, some of it self-inflicted, but every team in the league has something that you know you can exploit and that makes them susceptible. Everybody. And that's that's by design, admittedly, and it's part of what creates the chaos and the havoc of a team like Philadelphia that was the creme de la creme of the league six weeks ago, now finding themselves as a five seed. It's been magnified a bit. Not that example, right? The Eagles, for sure. That's the natural product of what you're talking about with parity in the NFL on any given Sunday, all that mantra. But it's been magnified this year because of all the injuries, the most important position. Like Joe Burrow going down, the loss of Deshaun Watson, like top quarterbacks missing extended time, CJ Stroud's missed some time. Like there's been absences at the most posi- most important position at the sport for contenders that you would have thought previously were shoe-ins. That and the Bills, which it's probably the only off-season prediction that Eddie and I got right, but we had our bold predictions in August of which teams would miss the playoffs that made it a year ago, and we chose Buffalo. Outside of that, which is the chaos of the NFL, and they still might make the postseason, I think it's been magnified by the quarterback play that's allowed a lot of mediocrity, that vat of mediocrity, as you mentioned, Jake, has extended from six seed below to like four seed below in both conferences. How about this? And I know that you're you're making this point. This is what's crazy. If the playoffs began today, which they don't, so it's an irrelevant point, but if they did, the Philadelphia Eagles are going on the road to take on either Tampa, New Orleans, or Atlanta, right? Speaking of on the road, we're going to do exactly that. It is time for, do you have, what, combos? What are you going with, Pizza King? Yeah, we'll get a Pizza King pizza to go. If wow. we're going down to Atlanta, Georgia, we're stopping at Bucky's, and I'm getting some jerky and some uh, beaver nuggets. <laughs> what about, and then once we get there, we'll have the varsity. You ever yes, eaten at the varsity? please, please got to get some varsity. I, I have not. Oh, varsity's great, but Bucky's good call. Because we're doing the Thursday road trip, and we're heading down to Atlanta to preview Colts and Falcons. We're doing it next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Thanks, as always, to AAA for making it possible for us to road trip down to Atlanta, stopping in Bucky's probably twice on the way down, and then the varsity once we get there. Joining us now as part of the road trip to talk about the Colts and the Falcons, our friend from 92.9 The Game in Atlanta, John Chuckery, joins us. John, I'm going to get right to the burning question, which is we had heard 
some discussion at the beginning of the week that Atlanta still was perhaps uh, unclear on who their starting quarterback was going to be. It appears as though it's going to be a guy that beat the Colts a year ago in a different uniform. Uh, who's going to be under center when things begin for the Falcons this weekend? Yeah, it's Taylor Heineke, and that's been announced, and he is listed as number one on the depth chart. So they have made the move to bench Desmond Ritter for the second time, and Taylor Heineke will start a quarterback. Does that in any way change Atlanta's like scheme or their approach or the style in which they play? Is it any curveball for Indianapolis? Even though I know there's tape on him, and they've they've you know he's played before, but uh, does it change the way they play versus what they try to do with Ritter? You know, I don't think so. I mean, look, we've we've been down this road before. And my personal opinion is Taylor Heineke doesn't give them any better chance to win this game. Look, their identity is still to run the football first. They have the second most rushing attempts in the NFL. They led the league in rush attempts last year. Their bread and butter is to run the football and then go off a play action from there. So I don't think it really changes anything, but – there comes a point where when your quarterback turns the football over at the alarming rates that Desmond Ritter did, you have to do something. Now, it's not really a it's not really a an ideal situation for a Taylor Heineke, but again, at some point you you have to do something different than what you've been doing. John, when you look at this roster, especially offensively from afar, Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, a lot of people look at that and say it's a lot of playmaking weapons that are available on offense, but you mentioned the struggles at quarterback and just struggles as a whole with this team. How much of that goes on Arthur Smith, and what is the gauge locally in terms of whether or not he is the guy for this franchise in the coming years? Well, you know, if you take the pulse of fans, it's about 95. Well, let me put it like this, 98 to 2 that uh, everybody wants him gone. Now, the owner has come out and said, and he did an interview here recently, look, they'll evaluate everything and they'll let the season play out. And I get that. If you you know Arthur Blank at all, he's not going to just knee-jerk reaction. But folks are done, you know, as a fan base with Arthur Smith. I mean, listen, the the lack of creativity at times in the red zone is maddening. Um, I think they do some good things on offense, but – you know, when your quarterback has six turnovers in the red zone, that just is bone crushing. Like that just is just a snap of the spine because you can't overcome those kinds of things. And and when you have a quarterback that turns the football over, and the crazy thing is with Ritter is that he didn't turn the football over in the four starts that he made last year. I mean, there were some plays where they were turnover worthy throws as the metric says, but he didn't turn the football over. Well, he's got the fourth most turnovers in the NFL right now, and he's got six red zone turnovers. Those are just crushing things when your offense is already struggling to score. When you you have a quarterback that turns the football over at that kind of rate, you just can't overcome those kinds of things. John Chuckery is our guest, 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. We're talking about the Falcons and the Colts. Before we get more nuanced into – what we could see or what Indianapolis wants to try to exploit with Atlanta, John. I'm curious of this because I think, you know, the Colts certainly went through this with a few years, obviously with one of the guys that that Atlanta comes into play with here in Matt Ryan. And by that, I mean this. You know, John, you've seen a lot of it, of the NFL. It takes forever sometimes to find a franchise quarterback. And you kind of get stuck into that rotation of guys 
you know, like Heineke or the different veterans that can come through before you finally find a franchise guy. Did Atlanta think that Ritter was going to be a long-term solution or was he just a younger filler, if you will, and have they seen enough now to make that determination either way? I think they thought in the building that he could at least for a few years be the solution. Um, There was a lot of chatter last year about why didn't he play more? And and frankly, the coach kind of came out and said, and, and, you know, a little bit, a little bit of it was off the record, but he wasn't ready to play. I mean, they didn't feel like he was ready to play early on last year, but I think they thought that he could get them through a few years. Now, again, there are very few 14-year quarterbacks that start and only miss three games the way that you know Matt Ryan did. But I brought this example up on my show. Think about the Cincinnati Bengals. They went 30 years between quarterbacks who could get them to the Super Bowl. I mean, from Boomer Esiason until you had Joe Burrow, they had, they, and they had the number one pick, they had the number four pick, the number three pick. They invested all those picks in quarterback and never got anywhere with it until they hit with Joe Burrow. So, again, it's extremely hard to find those guys. But we've been, you know, some people have been spoiled because, well, you see Pat Mahomes or you see this guy or that guy or, Kyle, or Josh Allen, you know, and they're like, well, they're the AFC championship game and all then winning Super Bowls. Yeah, but those guys are few and far between. I mean, and it's just – Hard to find a guy that can come in and transform your franchise. But if you don't have one of those guys, you're going to be stuck in the mud and the muck and the mire and spin your wheels round and round. You know one guy, and actually there are two of them, that come from at least played high school-wise and grew up in your area. I think maybe not suburban Atlanta, but in the state of Georgia in Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. I think with Lawrence, we know he is going – obviously, he's going to be the long-term guy in Jacksonville. We'll begin with him. Do you think, because it applies to the Colts, do you think Trevor Lawrence is, in fact, going to reach like the Peyton Manning level that was expected of him of of the number one, or is the inconsistency going to be part of his game all throughout? You know, he's got all the ability to do that. But part of it is also, you know, who you surround him with, what what organization, you know, that you're in. I mean, again, when you start off with Urban Meyer as the coach down there in your NFL tenure, you're already behind the eight ball, right? I mean, so, again, sometimes, you you know, you can't overcome some of those things. And, you know, even John Elway, you know, again, he thrived under Dan Reeves, but it didn't really become a Super Bowl quarterback until Shanahan got there, right? I mean, so, you know, again, sometimes you have to have the right organization and the right pieces and parts around him. I think Trevor Lawrence is a fantastic quarterback. He's from Cartersville High School, you know, here in the state of Georgia. But, you know, again, if you don't have some of those other things that are around you, then and not just players but your organization – you can never really maybe get out of the mud in some of those situations. Would you take Fields if Chicago parted ways? No. I, I, I think Justin Fields is a highlight-making quarterback who doesn't win games. You understand Desmond Ritter has the same number of wins in one season, one full season in the NFL, as Justin Fields does in three. They both have eight wins for their career. So, again, I know Justin Fields is a highlight factory, but is their organization better? Like the, the Bears organization isn't any better. I'll tell you this year, Montez Sweat has had a bigger influence on the Chicago Bears 
than what even Justin Fields have. And, and you have a guy that will miss four or five games. It's hard to overcome those things. And I know he's a dynamic player, but he hasn't transformed the franchise that he's with. What makes anybody think that he's going to come down here and do magical things for this franchise who already people don't want the coach and don't want the GM and want the owner to sell the team? Like, again, what's he going to do that's going to transform this franchise when we're already in the muck and the mire? John, I know that the Colts as a franchise are not going to take Atlanta lightly, but I'm sure the fan base can't help but look at last week's game and see a team that only scored seven against the cellar dwellers that are Carolina and end up losing that game to them on a field goal at the horn. What happened in that game? Were you ever able to figure that out in the days that followed? And why should the the Colts fear or be worried about Atlanta this week outside of the obvious fact, which is they're still technically playing for the South? Well, what happened last week is you have your quarterback that throws a, a, a horrendous interception when you're driving down deep and you're in the red zone. Let's say that. Let's say he just throws the ball out of the back of the end zone. Okay. Well, again, you line up, kick the field goal, and now you're now you're now you have a spread where it doesn't matter what Carolina is going to do; it, they're not going to win the game at that point. But you throw a red zone pick. And in Carolina, and, you know, again, the defense kind of failed them in this sense, but, you know, they, they drive it down 95 yards. I mean, they, they, they couldn't get a defensive stop. And, and Bryce Young is out there shot-putting the football. You know, again, he's not throwing it. He's shot-putting it at times. And they couldn't make a stop. And, and, you know, you lose the game. And, you know, part of why they only scored nine points is because they took a knee at the two-yard line twice just to run out to bleed the clock down because they knew they only needed a field goal. So from that standpoint, I mean, again, you're, you're, you're another red zone turnover and the defense can't make a stop. Now, look, defensively, this team has been good. They're the second best red zone team in the NFL and the third best third down team. So what they've been able to do is bend but don't break. And even when teams are driving on them, they have found ways to keep those teams out of the end zone and hold them to field goals. As long as they can kind of play it close, if the Falcons can find a touchdown here or a touchdown there and kick a couple of field goals, they feel like defensively they can keep these games close and find a way to eke it out at the end. John, tell me something. John Chuckery is our guest from the game in Atlanta, 92.9. Tell me something that the Falcons do that is uniquely Falcons. In other words, if you're Shane Steichen and you are sitting down with your team right now you're saying, guys, here's one thing they do that, that they do better than anybody we've seen this year or we're going to see. That one thing would be what? I think they're depth at running back. You have B. John Robinson, you have Tyler Algier, who was a 1,000-yard rusher last year, and you have Cordero Patterson. And they can come at you in waves with running the football. Again, I said they, were the, they led the NFL in rushing attempts last year. They're second in the NFL in rushing attempts this year. They can come at you in waves. So they have three running backs that can accumulate yards, whether that's Algier and Patterson up the middle or Bijan breaking it around the outside. So they can mix up their running game as well as anybody. Um, you know, again, they can go inside or go around you, but that's the thing that they rely on is the fact that they're a run-first identity type of team. They have the highest percentage of running plays in the NFL 
last year, and they've tried to balance that out a little bit more, but they can come at you in waves in their running game. Okay, other side of that would be this, John Chuckery, and that is when it comes to scouting Atlanta, Indianapolis is licking their chops over the fact that Atlanta's biggest Achilles is? Um, the idea that they you can move the ball on Atlanta's defense. They don't allow you to score touchdowns, but you can move the ball from 20 to 20 against them. So you can accumulate yards against them defensively. But again, they've been bend but don't break. They have the second-best red zone defense, like I said, in the NFL. They don't give up a lot of touchdowns. They've only given up five rushing touchdowns on the season. So they don't give up a lot of touchdowns, but you can definitely move the football against them. John, another question for you that has nothing to do with this Colts-Falcons, but I'm going to do a buy one, get one since we have you here, okay? We are a couple of months away here in Indianapolis for the first time since 1985 of hosting the NBA All-Star Game. I think people got Mm -hmm. a sense of the magnitude of it when they saw the ticket prices that sold out like very, very quickly. But Atlanta's had two of them in the last 20 years, one of them just a couple of years ago. I assume that you are around for it. Um, Just in terms of the flavor, the event, the excitement, the buzz, tell me what people in Indianapolis should anticipate and what they may be surprised by or, um, you know, just come to expect with the All-Star Game coming here in a couple months. Well, I think that the All-Star Game has, again, evolved with the skills competition and some of the other things to really, it is a week, a week, a full weekend of events. And, and, you know, again, in Atlanta, you know, the, the NBA is a, believe it or not, in Atlanta, the NBA is a strong brand. Like, the, the, the Hawks are not necessarily a great franchise, but the NBA brand, that, that the Hawks, or I should say the, the city of Atlanta, a lot of ways, it is a basketball town. Like, there, there's a lot of diehard basketball fans especially with the NBA, because the college teams have not been very good. But there is a real dedicated fan base to the NBA in Atlanta. And look, Atlanta's a party city. Um, People flock from all over the country to come to Atlanta. It's easy to get into. So it's really become just a a whole weekend filled with events. And, you know, that's the thing about the All-Star game now is, you know, it's, it's more than just the slam dunk contest and the three-point. Like, they do a lot of different things that go on with the rookie game and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it really is a full weekend of events. So it, it's a lot of fun. If you ever go get a chance to go to one, I would definitely recommend it. But uh, to your point, yeah, I mean, you're going to pay through the nose for, for those kinds of things. <laughs> but it is a lot of fun if you can be at some of those events. Is the, is the Varsity, I think is the name of the joint, the burger place in Atlanta, um, as a – as a Georgian, do you go there a lot, or is that just a tourist place? No, that's a tourist place. No, no, go if, if you want the best burger in Atlanta, you go to the Vortex. So that that write that down for everybody. Go to the Vortex. The Vortex is the best burger in Atlanta. Um, it's just just in the Midtown area on Peachtree Road. That's the best burger in Atlanta. The the varsity is a tourist spot, right? I mean, that's again, go look at the, go look at the attractions and all that kind of stuff there. But people, you know, in Atlanta don't go there for the quality of the food. If you could only save one Coca-Cola, Chick-fil-A or the varsity, which are you saving? Uh, Chick-fil-A. I mean, Chick-fil-A is an institution here now. So, 
Um, listen, we invented the chicken sandwich, and you know we're we're thank proud you. of that. Fact, <laughs> thank you, by the way. No, thank you. I love it. Now, what about what about yeah, the wings at Magic City? Brand. What about the wings at Magic City <laughs> Dance Club? Weren't those legendary? Yeah, I mean the lemon pepper wings. I mean it, it, it got Lou Williams out of the portal. I mean, so you know they they must be pretty good. I mean, I don't know about you know everything else around it, but certainly the chicken wings were good enough to pull a guy out of the NBA portal. So um, again, um, you know Atlanta has got several of those kinds of establishments around. So we're not we're not lacking in those kinds of environments. So. Um, whether it's chicken wings or in the old days, it used to be the prime rib buffets uh, for three ninety nine at some of those places. Not that I've never been there, but you know. Anyway, <laughs> that's but, what you uh, hear, right? <laughs> it's it, it, it's a it's a great town for all of the the kinds of things you can do. Fun stuff, you can do family stuff, and then you can eat in a full full onslaught debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Hey, John, it's always a pleasure, man, and certainly, uh, you know, whoever would have guessed, to be honest with you, whoever would have guessed back in August that we'd be discussing a game that has playoff implications for both sides, the Colts and the Falcons, but that's exactly what's on the line uh, down in Hotlanta this weekend. Do you guys say Hotlanta? Is that a tourist thing, too? No, that's that's a that's a that's a tourist thing. We 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 scoff at people who say Hotlanta. I mean, <laughs> yeah, ATL, ATL is fine, Atlanta, but, you know, when people say Hotlanta, we're like, oh, okay, we know you're out of town automatically. So, you know, again, it's – Okay. It, that, that's that's the tourist thing. I so, mean, no, I'm not but, saying I'm a tourist, but I'm stopping at Bucks at Bucky's Rock City to, on my way to Hotlanta, where I then go and get the lemon pepper wings. Well, listen, Bucky's Bucky's has become the phenomenon, you know, here in the state of Georgia. So Bucky's is definitely the place that look you can load up at Bucky's. I I highly recommend if you're if you're going to go somewhere. Stop in a Bucky's, and it's a glorified gas station, but it's unlike anything that you've ever seen. Like it's crazy how good it is. It's like Walmart and Disney World had a kid with clean bathrooms. It's unreal. Absolutely. Yep. Hey, John, appreciate it as always, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you again, John Chucker, our friend down in Atlanta, Atlanta, ninety-two-nine. The game, good stuff. Now, I'm a little disappointed though, Jimmy. Little disappointed. So what? I guess here's the thing. If the varsity is the tourist place, what's Indianapolis's varsity? What's the place that it's like, yeah, it's what the tourists do, but like we don't necessarily do it all the time? Because everybody here loves St. Elmo, so it wouldn't be that, right? right? I need to think on that. I need to I, mean, I don't know that we have that. it. That's the thing, right? Like we don't have like the, the place that like if somebody's like, oh, and like I remember this. There's a guy named Michael Gross who was an actor, and he played Stephen Keaton on Family Ties, right? 35 years ago, almost 40 years ago. But when I was working at WIBC with Terry Stacy 15 years ago, 17 years ago, we had him on for something. He was promoting something. We had him on. And he was like, Indianapolis, I love that city. Every time I come there, I got to go to Union Station. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, first off, Union Station's been closed for like 20 years. But secondly, like – there would be no greater thing to say that you are a tourist who hasn't been to India in a while. I guess Circle Center Mall. Like if somebody said like, oh man, Indianapolis, yeah, I can't wait to go walking through the mall downtown. The problem I had with Circle Center was it was a cool mall and people loved going through it. There was no exterior signage. So unless somebody told you, you had no idea it was there. Yeah. If you're walking around, you had no idea it was there, right? And then once it was too late, they started putting the signs up like outside, like, hey, guess what? We got a Chick-fil-A in here. Okay. <laughs> Just walk past, go down past the closed Cinnabon and then take a left at the former 
uh, Express that has the the thing down, and then you want to take a right at past the emoji pillow stand, and then there's a Chick Fil A, which is no longer there now because it's freestanding on I think Washington Street. I'm just saying. I don't know. I got a lot of neuroticism running through me today. What can I say? Matt Taylor, by the way, going to join us two o'clock. We'll talk more about the Colts as the Colts and Falcons in the vat of mediocrity. But there are some upticks about it. We'll get to some positives about it and a real positive for the Pacers last night as well. We'll get Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Into the Pacers and Hornets coming up here a couple of minutes, top of the hour. Jimmy, we were talking about places that if you were a tourist, you would visit in Indianapolis, right? Correct. Several people pointing out the Red Garter. Centrally located. You just you want to avoid the shooting judges, right? Wasn't that out at, or the White Castle? Um, you had mentioned the Speedway, right? Yeah, like I know that we love the Speedway here, and obviously the 500 is the backbone of Indiana and Indianapolis, but I don't know that I would go on like a Wednesday in June to go tour it. And I Correct. feel like if you're a, a tourist coming into town, maybe you'd want to see the Speedway. I think, I think people, like if you've got friends in from out of town or whatever, you go take them. Um I will tell you this. I have mentioned this story before, but it's one of my favorites. Roughly 24 years ago, in the month of March, you know how like in March, there's always that one weekend where like there's still some leftover remnants of snow and ice and it's just cold and gross. Yes. So at the Speedway, they do the tour where you pay, I think it's $2 or whatever it used to be. I don't know what it is now. It's part of a much bigger tour now, but it used to be you could just literally buy the bus tour and go around the track. So one of the bus tour drivers is there, and a young guy gets on the bus, and he's the only person on the bus because it's like a cold, freezing, drizzly, sleety day. And doesn't speak English very well, but it's like, I'd like to take a lap around. You know, I, I bought the ticket or whatever. So the guy takes him, and he's doing the tour, and he's telling you know the significance of the track and whatever else. And the young guy's sitting, and he's staring out the window at the track the entire time. Doesn't say a word. So they get done, and the guy's like, well, thank you for coming on the tour. And the young guy, again, kind of in broken English, says, can you do one more lap? And the guy says, well, I I guess. I mean, there's nobody here, and, you know, I'm just going to be sitting here waiting. Sure, I guess we can take another lap. And he says, I stand here. And he's, you know how on buses they have like the white line, like do not stand past this line. So he stands on the white line, the driver does the thing, and the guy crouches down so that he's like at eye level with like the track itself and watches. And the driver's like, he just stares at the the track the entire time. And he says to the driver, go outside. So he has him drive like closer to the wall all the way around. So they get done with the second lap. The young guy's like, thank you. And the driver's like, well, thank you, young man. Now, where are you from? He said, I'm from Columbia. He said, oh, really? What brings you to Indianapolis? He said, well, my name's Juan Montoya, and I'm running the Indy 500. (laughs) And that was the first time I asked Montoya, and he verified that. He goes, yeah, the first time I ever took a ride around, I was doing a seat fitting at Ganassi. We had a break. I went over to the Speedway. I did it. 
and I asked him for the second because I wanted to see the outside line and and assess the grooves of the track. That's really cool. Three months later, he led 167 laps and won his debut Indy 500. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I have a theory about this song, which is a fabulous song. My theory is this is the one song that, like, no one can remember exactly the first time they heard it. You just feel like you've always known it. Haven't you just always kind of known this song? Yes. But I, I can point to, like, maybe not the first time, but where I hear it all the time, and I joked with you about it during the break, but Taco Bell often co-ops it when the Beefy Melt Burrito or something like that is back in the menu lineup, and you get the I'll Stop the World to Melt With You. Very clever. But you probably knew the first time you heard it, you knew that that was the lyric coming up because you're like, I've just always known the yeah, song. It's Melt With You. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I saw them, by the way, at Hi-Fi, uh, I guess it was on, like, October, maybe? And I loved it because Modern English comes out. I literally was like, I want to go see it because I want to see that song live, period. And we went there, and the guy came out, the lead singer. They start performing, and he says right off the top, he's like, look, I get it. You all are here to, to hear one song. You know, like He totally got it. it uh, people only knew one song by them. And they did like 12 songs, and then at the end he's like, well, I guess we'll do it now. And they closed with that song, and it was pretty awesome. I thought it was going to turn the other way and be like, well, we know you're only here for one thing. We're not playing it. Sorry. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> there would have been a riot. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Um, Pacers last night, winners over the Hornets at the Fieldhouse. I guess the reality is this, Jimmy. For a team that was starting to kind of backpedal and slide a little bit, which admittedly they were doing, the Pacers, you know – we've made a lot of it since the play in tournament they just have not been the same clearly i mean you know losing you know what uh four straight three straight i mean you had obviously the no four straight sorry milwaukee washington minnesota and la defensively just a huge issue and last night they got that turned around. They they ramped it up a little bit. I mean, you're not going against an outstanding team in Charlotte, but they did what they needed to do because they 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 turned it up defensively. And Buddy Heald was the guy last night. It was kind of his turn in the rotation, I guess, to be able to step up and, and start hitting some shots. And Heald again shows, and we saw this certainly in some of the the tournament games. When he's on, you know, he is a lightning-in-a-bottle guy, and you got to feed it And when he's on. And last night he caught that lightning-in-a-bottle. That certainly helped him. Tyrese Halliburton, Halliburton with 13 assists. But um, the challenge now becomes, quite frankly, the turnaround and seeing how they respond tonight because you're going against a Memphis team that's rejuvenated and a Memphis team that's good, and you're on the road in the middle of a back-to-back. Good news is their legs might be fresher than one would have anticipated for a back-to-back, Jimmy. That is the luxury of taking care of business against bad competition, something that we did not see against the Wizards and something that, in terms of a complete effort by this team, has been absent post-in-season tournament final against the Lakers. The Buddy Heald point is an exceptional one because there's been stretches where, not that he hasn't been 
present within the lineup, but you felt like, man, this is a two for six night or an 0 for four night. And to have him go 50% from beyond the arc, you mentioned when you ride that hot hand, good things usually happen within the flow of this Pacers offense. And early on during the winning streak or during the stretch of play to start the year that carried over to the end season tournament when it felt like maybe the Pacers had a schedule. Maybe this is going to be a team that is a four seed in the East or is a real, not necessarily a contender, but could make some noise in the postseason. And not to say that chatter has totally gone away, but over that stretch, it was looking at this lineup and realizing Yes, Halliburton is your go-to. You need strong nights from him where it's a double-double and high-level scoring, but that other guys are picking up the slack. And when it's Buddy Heald and a combination of him and Miles Turner, and then you get great efforts from your bench where you don't have to necessarily rely on your heavy-level starter minutes, that sets you up nicely for a back-to-back. The bar has not been lowered for the Pacers this year for me. I want to make that clear, like, I still think they can be at their best a six-seed or better. They should not be just a play-in team, even though they'll welcome any type of postseason opportunities they can at this point. So the bar hasn't been lowered, but that said, I'm willing to adjust the bar game by game like I did last night, which is, okay, Charlotte's not a very good team. They're without ball. They're without some of their starters. How do you handle this versus the egg you laid against Washington? And they didn't disappoint this time around. And the other measurement that I go with, Jake, and it's not a real metric of anything. There's no like factoid of NBA data that shows when this happened, you're going to lose games. I hate giving up 40-point quarters. That's gross. Like Even in today's NBA, I, I, I can't stand it. It's icky, right? It is. It's, it's very icky. You don't really come close to that last night, and you put up a 40-burger of your own in the second quarter. So all in all, they did their job against bad competition. Without John Morant, you'd feel the same way, but tonight, that's no longer the case because their star is back. He put up 35 and a game winner against New Orleans, and they have a lot of ground to make up in the West. This is going to be another tough game down a stretch of five games for the Pacers before the turn of the calendar where stuff really hits the fan for them in 2024 right out of the gate. Do you remember, and I don't think this is going to be the case, but I'm sitting with my fingers crossed. Now, actually, when you were a kid, when you crossed your fingers, did you ever do that and it meant that you actually, you were telling a lie? Yes. So so how did we determine that crossing your fingers can either be a lie or good luck? Are we teaching kids subconsciously that lying is good luck? Is that what it is? That seems unfair, right? It seems like a bad lesson to learn. How, how did we get those two crossed over? Do we know which was the origin? I always the, thought that the origin was probably for good luck. That's how I remember it happening, but then... Throughout but do you remember, like, I remember seeing like your it, friend like, would say to you, like, you know, no, I'll give you that baseball card. And you're like, wait a minute, you got your finger yeah, crossed exactly. behind your back. Right, exactly. Yes, I think it was distorted through childhood. <laughs> Deviant kids. Exactly. Um, so maybe I'm just saying this thinking for good luck for Indiana tonight. But do you remember when Lance Stevenson made his return to the Pacers? Oh, that was a great game. Be the game, you mean the game at Gamebridge? The, game. the, the Lance yeah, game, yes. right? Where he scored oh. 20 points in the first quarter? I was there. It was nuts. The Lance game. Yes. And it's like, holy cow. And there's just this, ma- like, every once in a while, players have a game that it's too good to be true. It's like a Hollywood 30 for 30 script where you're like, I can't believe everything is going their way. Every shot's going their way. Now, John Morant has the natural God-given ability to make that happen. That's the important distinction, right? So does Lane Stevenson. Yes, but 
Ja's profile is superstar. Lance Understood. at his best was second or third best player on a contender. But you wonder how much of like in a return game like that, there's just kind of an energy and a mojo from everybody sure. that happens. And then so so that happens with Ja Morant. Is there any chance now? I'm not going to say. I mean, look, he's certainly capable of that. But in terms of his acclimation, his re-entry into the system, you know, in a return game like that, you would think that the roster kind of knows that it's his night, and and he's going to be the straw mixing the drink the drink for them in general anyway. But that comes with a deferment that the players on that roster have gotten used to not having to play with. And so, yes, they're going to defer in that first game back because of the storyline of it. But if there is an awkward reacclimation period, does it get delayed for a game? And as a result, tonight is when they start to kind of feel and tiptoe their way through because the rest of the roster is like, okay, like, Here's what we've been doing, and you know he's there as well. I'm not. He's a great player, and I don't think this is going to happen. But does he come back down to earth a little bit tonight, as opposed to that kind of a performance? I mean, do I think he goes for 35? He could because is, they're not going to guard is, him. And is excellent. Uh, no, but like he he's a 28 point scorer on average, pretty much in his career. Like I think he could sleepwalk through a game and probably find himself at a 25 and nine night. Would you agree with that, Eddie? Like, I just feel like in terms of the player that he is, I'm not saying that he's going to have quite the heroics that he did against New Orleans, but I wouldn't I, rule it as impossible. I could see it again tonight simply because of the way the Pacers play defense. They want to run everyone off the three-point line, facilitate everyone inside. I mean, there's a reason why they give up the most points in the paint, and you've got one of the most athletic and best players in the NBA in John Moran who – Scores the majority of his points right there at the rim inside the painted area. So if that's an area the Pacers struggle and that's a, it's where he excels, I think he could have a really big game tonight. They talked about that. I can't remember which podcast it was, but an NBA podcast I was listening to, especially the game winner. Like It's so rare in today's NBA to see a player actually go to the rim at the buzzer to go get the win. No, you're right. And, and he his body control in those situations right. is amazing. I mean, he is an amazing talent. There's no doubt about it. There could it. be a hangover tonight, Jake. Like, I'm not I'm not fully putting that to bed. Like, I think that's a fair point. You have that electric first game back, and now you're at home where the energy is 10 times greater and everybody's so happy to have you back. Are you due for a letdown? Like, I don't think that's impossible, but I still think even a letdown game for him would be still getting 25. I think, and yeah, I, I am correct in this. My favorite player in the NBA plays for the Grizzlies. You know that, right? Have we have we been doing this show long enough together for you guys to know yet who my favorite player in the NBA is? Steven Adams? Nope. Mm. Although he, he does hurt. look like one of the fellas from Superman. <laughs> Eddie? Um, Scott Agnes knows this answer because anytime this guy's in the news, Scott Agnes sends me uh, like a, a screen grab of it or mentions him in any way, shape, or form. Derek Rose? Nope. I mean, he's also out. I'm Paris is in here business. hanging out. Paris, you got a guess? Here's the roster. Is it Marcus Smart? Nope. My favorite player in the NBA, bar none. Oh. Desmond Bain? Nope. I do like Desmond Bain, though, because his mom was um, right. our bartender at Fridays, and she was great. Desmond Bain's, by the way, Desmond Bain and the Memphis Grizzlies. I've mentioned this before. I'll repeat it. Richmond, Indiana, Richmond, Indiana native. Very small school. 
Desmond Bain's mother was a volleyball player in high school. His grandfather, so his mother's father, was an all-star out of Richmond, Indiana. I believe the 73 or 74 all-star team. Indiana all-star out of Richmond. Uh, here's your roster. You got Jaron Jackson Jr. who's from Indianapolis, right? Is it the starting center? I don't know if he's the starting center, but that is the position he occupies. Bismack Biombo. Bismack Biombo is my favorite player in the NBA. <laughs> now, you know why he's my favorite player in the NBA, don't you? Because you love saying his name? Because his name is Bismack Biombo. That That's is right. Why we have done the show long enough. I remember you saying he that. Is exactly. the great, Bismack Biombo. Listen, he's a value, too. Like This guy is my hero because he just he just keeps going out and getting contracts right? by just being a solid citizen. He's a solid citizen. He goes out, he sets a few screens, he gets a few rebounds. It, like, look at this stat that he had in that game against New Orleans, okay? Bismack Biombo, 22 minutes played, four of five from the floor, okay? So he's he, he's not demanding shots, and when he gets the ball and he decides to shoot, 80% of the time he scores, right? Didn't take any threes. He knows his limitation, right? Didn't shoot any free throws because he's only getting the ball five times, and and – He's hitting in 80% of those. He he picked up, how about this, two rebounds? Not one, but two. He's like, you want a rebound? I'll get you a rebound. Do you want a second one? Because I can do that too. He did. And, and that's what you want from your center over 22 minutes is two rebounds, right? Never. He, had a, he had a steal and his, a block. He added a block, right? His biggest claim to fame is when the national narrative was being put on that the Raptors were going to beat the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2016. And he had a couple like high-level games and they lost in six. But his name is Bismack Biombo, and I, I believe, and this is the other thing that's fun. He's from the Congo, right? I believe so. So that how how much fun is it to say? I'm all about a fun name. Like I, I'm how, not gonna argue with you there. How about this? Congolese basketball player Bismack Biombo. Tell me that's not fun to say, right? I'm right there with you. I just think it's fun, and he just seems like a nice guy. And when he was playing for Phoenix. He didn't get a lot of minutes, and John or um, uh, oh, I can't believe Devin I just Booker. spaced his name. No, uh, Crowder. Oh, Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder, <laughs> Jay Crowder who's Jay my second Crowder. favorite player in the NBA. Jay Crowder, the stormtrooper. The stormtrooper. Jay Crowder was checking into the game, and I said to Jay Crowder, "Hey, Jay, look, man, you got to get tell the coach to put in Bismack Biombo." And Jay Crowder laughed. He laughed. <laughs> so any player that has his own teammates laughing about the possibility of him getting in the game that still has within him He's the resiliency <laughs> to be able to bounce back, get a new contract, play for a team, go four or five from the floor, and get two rebounds as a bonus is my favorite player. Bismack Biombo. My goal, Eddie Garrison, here is your responsibility in 2024. Oh, okay. please be, get Bismack Biombo. If on you show. get Bismack Biombo <laughs> on this show, I will go out of Monument Circle and do cartwheels. Well, I make sure you have your hard hat on. on the show. What's that? Make sure yeah. you have your hard hat on. <laughs> That's right. I got I will not do it around the fenced area that has the stairs that have yet to be repaired. We might need a permit to do that. Like it's very there's a lot of legality there. That is Sign correct. Waiver. But can you imagine if, if Bismack Biombo comes on this show, I will be a blubbering fool that it, it'd be like if literally if I was trying to talk to Kathy Frisch when I was a sophomore at North Central. Hey, Kevin Pritchard. Chad Buchanan, well. if you're listening, just go out there and trade for him so Jake can oh, be happy. Oh, can you imagine? I'd give up right now. Halliburton for Bismack Biombo straight up. Let's <laughs> right, go. Okay. Let's all go. Right, okay. I, I'm all for okay. it, right? 
I'll go to Stephen Barry's, which isn't even around anymore, and I'll buy the a Bismack Biombo jersey is like the Cleveland, you know that Cleveland Brown jersey that has all the different 12, quarterbacks. Quarterback 13, yes, a Bismack Biombo jersey of where he's played. How many how many franchises has he played with? Okay, Eddie, here is the Christmas gift for Jake, but we're going to ruin it because he's here. We get a framed collage of big jerseys, and it's just every spot Biombo's played for in his career. Do you know I, where he's played? By the way, well, I know Toronto. I know now now know Phoenix. Orlando, I believe, for a little Charlotte, bit. Charlotte, Toronto, Orlando, Phoenix, and Memphis. Do you know how you you know how you make it that far? You know he you has a Bobcats up. and a Hornets jersey. Got a lot of grit by being a solid guy. Bobcats and Hornets—that's rare. That's like upper quartile of the upper quartile, indeed. Rare. You, air. you make it that long and you play for that many. Because here's the thing: there are guys in the league, there are players, there are veterans in the league that have been journeymen, and they are saying to themselves, "I just want to play with Bismack Biombo." So, so he he is brought in to bring in. I mean, he's like they want Tyrese Halliburton to bring players here. Bismack Biombo bring him here because he's played with all of them, right? And in addition to that, here's the other thing about Bismack Biombo. Like I can relate to this guy, right? I can relate to him because my track record of media outlets in Indianapolis that I've been released from and then re-signed by is very similar to that of the career of Bismack Biombo. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, it's confusing to you guys sometimes when you, when you act, like, people will stop me on the street and they're like, yeah, I see you all the time on Channel 6. I'm like, I haven't been on there in 16 years, but thank you. Bismack Biombo, power right there. Bismack Biombo, people think of him as an Orlando Magic player, right? I know you don't participate, but there's no prop bets involving Bismack Biombo tonight, which is sad. I was going to ask you about I'll I'll make runner. one right now. You ready? Sure. Please Over, under. Okay, hi, here we go. Higher total tonight. Uh-oh. Tyrese Halliburton turnovers or Bismack Biombo rebounds? Bismack Biombo rebounds. He's averaging six a game. If Tyrese mm. turns the ball over six times mm-hmm. or more, he got two over. rebounds last game in 22 minutes. Bismack Biombo did. Okay, how about this? Free throws made, free throws made, or or Tyrese Halliburton turnovers. I'll take Halliburton turnovers over free throws made. Yes, I will take Halliburton turnovers as well. He attempts about two a game. How about Aaron not, D. Smith's night last night, by the way? Speaking of guys that are that are one point nine Prius. Truly efficient players. How about Neesmith last night? Didn't miss a shot from the floor. Plays defense. Like I don't know what it is, Jimmy, and, and I'm I'm kind of mystified by it. Like, what is the missing ingredient with the Pacers defensively? Because clearly, maybe it's just the teams they're playing. But the thing about the Pacers that is so frustrating and enigmatic about their defense is the fact that there is proof of the fact that they can go out and do it on occasion. But it starts on the wing. And I, I think one of the things that really hurts them, like if Neesmith is having to guard against Biggs, then that takes away one of your players that can guard on the wing. And if you have on the wing like Halliburton and Heald as your two line of defense, then that's Miles Turner's block average is going to go up probably or his foul average because he's having to be the last line of defense and it's literally just turnstiles, right? I don't know if this solves the Pacers in terms of long term, like all of a sudden making this acquisition elevates them to NBA Finals contender, but it's the name that's been thrown around in the rumor mill Every year for the last three years, I saw it pop up again yesterday. So again, it's a rumor mill. It's meaningless. But the build of, like you mentioned, like a Paul George, of a small forward that can do it both ways, what you're missing. OG Ananobi is the name that continues to be 
in that rumor mill of right a good fit for the Pacers. I don't know what the cost would be. I don't even know if there's an actual interest there, but that to me is the missing piece is figuring I, out that position. Does OG Ananobi have though the wing lateral quickness necessary? I think he can I think he could like on ball defend. In other words, if you're on the post and, and and Ananobi's guarding you, you know he's a pretty good defender in that regard. But is he able to step out like on like 15 feet out and prohibit somebody from getting and making moves towards through the lane? Does he have the quickness to, to contend with a first step? He's got seven two wingspan, six seven on the speed the aspect wingspan though. Helps for sure, I don't. I mean, yeah, the wingspan will help close some of the gap. I don't. I haven't watched a ton of Raptors games this year, but I would think. That he has enough speed plus the wingspan to doesn't it feel like do Orlan- like Orlando or Detroit either one seems to have a surplus of guys that are like just six seven defense. I, I don't even well, know Orlando's one of the best defensive teams. Like, I know in and the league, I, I even know. though they don't have the record to really show for it. But like, yes, to answer your question, yes. I mean, it seems like there there has to be a team that has Jimmy, a guy sixteen and ten and fourth in the East. Are they really middle of the pack? Okay, I apologize. Yes. It's my fault. So anyway, I, the defensive point stands. I was wrong about where they're at in the no, they are there though. They're a great defensive team. That's why they're where they're at. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't need – I think that we get too caught up in – here's the thing with this Pacers team. Pacers can score, right? They can yes. score. Halliburton can score. Neesmith, when needed, can score. Heald can score. Now, some of the, one of these guys is probably going to be giving up not Halliburton for what you're looking for. I don't think Neesmith would be one. Heald is probably a possibility. But they can they – can take on somebody who is an offensive liability because they've got right now five guys that are all defensive liabilities in order to complement their offense for the most part but the the line they have to walk jake is the one that you've been hammering home with the cautionary tale that was with the colts is is this year at the deadline the time to make that move or are you forcing and rushing things because they are going to have can't remember the exact number but they're going to have a lot of cap space in the off season, do you want to just wait until this season ends and then make your leap? I mean, the, so much of this league is timing, right? And it just it's the balance of not overpaying or over gutting your roster for something that might not be what extends your window with Halliburton. The I'll tell you the pacer player, aside from Paul George, we've mentioned Paul George. If you could go back right now in a time machine. You get your 1.21 gigawatts in a DeLorean. I'd love to have a DeLorean, by the way. I think it'd be awesome. You get a DeLorean. I mean, you get you in it. You get your one point. What's that? You can. You just can't travel back in time. <laughs> I know. Well, that's no, kind of the selling point, but <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> all, all we need is a, if we knew when the lightning was going to hit the clock tower, then we'd be good to go. So you get in a time machine. You go back. I know Paul George is the obvious answer here. But a pacer player in terms of what they bring to the table and their style of play that is the perfect player for this year's Pacers roster, perfect player, is Derek McKee. Derek McKee is exactly what this team needs. 6'9", lockdown defender, wing defender, doesn't need the ball to come through him offensively, but when it does, can score in a variety of ways, including outside shooting. He is the perfect player for what this team needs. I was going to say Kawhi Leonard to troll people. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, You know what? I'm watching that Clippers game, Jimmy. Hardly an original thought here. But I'm watching that Clippers game, and all I'm thinking to myself, as a matter of fact, I said to somebody, 
isn't it weird to think that like at one point I looked up at the at the scoring jumbotron, yeah, whatever, and I said the top two scores on the Clippers right now are guys drafted by the Pacers, and the top two Pacers are guys drafted elsewhere. The nature of the NBA. The the did anybody really know Kawhi Leonard? No, to was be clear, be no, no, no. That's good? why. That's why I made the joke because there's no, some I Pacers fans that believe that they were never drafting him. Like they they were never drafting him. The Spurs made that selection. It's not like they took him and then the Spurs were like, oh, can we have him? It's not what happened. Right. But because of the NBA's I backwards mean, granted, way they of could doing have, trades, admittedly though, they sure, could have they had. They could him have. They could by have. By just saying no, we're not. You know what I mean? Correct. But the way the NBA does it, it now he'll go down as a Pacer is what he was drafted by, whereas the NFL clearly marks no. This was a trade that happened. Like he's wearing, I mean, the, oh, the memories of him wearing the Pacers hat, right? Yeah, him and DeAndre Ayton, the two greatest Pacers that ever were. Wait, and probably not, maybe ever, but just in the last ten I have years. A theory on, years. now. Before we get to, and we're going to do um, the Jimmy Cook conspiracy theory here, tinfoil hat, in just a second, a couple minutes here. So, so think up one of your weird yeah, I know. I need to tinfoil get hat conspiracies. Here, here is one of my conspiracy theories. You ready? It was a huge gamble, but I, I'm i not 100% convinced, so I'm not putting the tinfoil hat on, but I'm at least wrapping the hat in tinfoil by saying this. It was a huge gamble, but I think the Pacers in the DeAndre Ayton offer sheet knew that Phoenix was, I, I and I can't remember what player it would have been, but I think there was another player through free agency that the Pacers had their eye on and they wanted to disrupt Phoenix's process. So they threw out the offer sheet knowing that Phoenix was going – they knew Phoenix was going to match. So they threw out an offer sheet to elevate the price Phoenix would have to pay for DeAndre Ayton to throw off Phoenix's cap numbers. There's gangsmanship in – the offer sheets. I, I don't disagree with that. Knowing also that if if for some reason that fell through and Phoenix didn't bite, that they were still okay with the player they were getting. But I think their primary motivation was to mess with Phoenix. Is, is that ridiculous of me? No. I mean, am I way like... So I mean, when you throw the primary in there, maybe, because I feel like there was some interest, but... I think they could both be twofold. It's one of those where, well, if we end up with this player, we're okay with it, even though I think it was a blessing they didn't get him. But on the other hand, if they match, then we've put Phoenix in a bind. I think both could be true. By the way, I think it also wanted to send a message to the rest of the teams in the NBA that the Pacers are actually trying to spend money and that there's players out there that want to play with Tyrese. Yeah, that's fair. Now, I should clarify this because people are questioning this. Jay Crowder is my favorite NBA player. Like, flippancy aside... In terms of players and the style in which they play and the value they bring to teams that is not one that costs a lot of money, Jay Crowder is my favorite player because I love everything about what he stands for. What about P.J. Tucker? I love that he's an enforcer. P.J. Tucker's not bad um, because he can shoot, and he does all those little things as well. But Crowder, I just like the fact, first off, that like he – he literally shows up dressed like a warrior. I mean, the guy like – not a Golden State warrior, but like – he just does whatever is necessary, and he's a good defender. I just think he's a great. I think Jay Crowder is like a like just a guy that that winning teams need. That winning teams need a Jay Crowder type player. So in terms of playing style and what they bring to a team, Crowder's my favorite player. But in terms of actual favorite people in the NBA, there's no question. Now, 
allow me to ask this. I'm not a big fan of naming pets after athletes. I think it's kind of almost like a disrespectful thing. But but if which is a better name for a dog? <laughs> Why are we laughing? Oh, because Judge is at home, just very sad by your take. And so is Yogi. So Judge, at least you're going last name, I guess. I, I don't, and it kind of depends on the dog. Sure, truth be told, um, I. I I think it's okay. Here's a here's a Jake Query open. By the disclaimer. way, I'm not offended by that. Not no. that you would like. Here, here's a Jake Query take. open disclaimer. Sure. Okay. I think pets maybe I, I can get away with. Okay. I think it's weird when you meet someone who has multiple people and pets in their family all named for the same sports franchise because eventually people are starting to ask: Is there a wife that has say in any of this? What about like? band like you're named after a band for an animal no well it depends on the day my brother sister and i are named after van halen really yep you got a sister named david lee no (laughs) alexis okay fair enough brother is michael but do your now is just your dad a van halen fan or both parents both okay well then that uh, there okay fine but does that get offset for you if both but like, people are Brewers fans? I, I'll put it to you this way. If I was like, oh, I'd like you to meet my my three children. My daughter, Peyton, my son, Reggie, my, my son, Dallas, and then, oh, here's my dog, Lucas, and my other dog, you know, Colt. I mean, eventually, isn't somebody going to say, like, does your wife have, is your wife a diehard Colts fan, or does she have no say in it? Does she have no interests, no hobbies? But anyway, I digress on all of that. Here's my question. If I were if I were to break my own policy, would I name the dog Bismack or Biombo? Because they're both fabulous. What about Mac? No, nah, I got to be, be no, got to go full, full force, right? Well, because you always start out naming dogs like Bismack, or then you would start calling them Mac or something. The name always... Well, you name him Mac and call him Bismack for fun, I guess, right? Because you always go two two syllables on a dog name, right? Yes. And if you don't have a dog voice, then you are a sociopath. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Biombo. Biombo? Yeah. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yes. You know the thing about Biombo that makes him a good boy? I'm talking about Biombo the dog, okay. right? Okay. Thank like you for the clarity. When you have him go fetch the ball... For a rebound, he does it once, and he does it so well, he does it a second time without you even asking. Never touch the so, ground either. Doesn't that's, matter. <laughs> that's so fabulous about Biombo. Uh, we're going to come back, and Jimmy's going to put on his tinfoil hat next. So what we life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Learning the program today is that Eddie Garrison is named for the late great guitarist Eddie Van Halen, who also, by the way, uh, performs the guitar in... I think it's is it beat it it's beat it right yes sir uh, he's now, got the guitar which, solo which van halen member is a hoosier was the trivia question that i posed to you eddie garrison so you told me it was wrong when i guessed eddie so i'm gonna go with uh alex incorrect 
Jimmy Cook, do you have a guess? No, I don't. David Lee Roth. David mm. Lee Roth was born in Bloomington, moved very shortly thereafter to Newcastle. Well, see, I asked you which the, version of Van Halen, and you wouldn't let me know. I said simply anybody who has performed with the band Van Halen. And he moved to Massachusetts when he was, I believe, 12 years old. But when I saw Van Halen in concert, he he was very like nostalgic about being from Indiana, which I, I'll be honest, I, I guess I knew that at his apex. There are very few front men that were better than David Lee Roth. Uh, it is time now for a segment that we've done on the program before, and we're going to do it again, and he's been chomping at the bit looking like a lunatic over there. Eddie, go ahead and hit it because it's time for Jimmy to put on his tinfoil hat. All right, so we have a couple today. And Eddie, I would appreciate, since we didn't do this on the fly, after each one, if I could get the... Uh, yes, okay, yes. Okay, good, all right. So the first one... Right, now, your- am I going to assess whether or not you're wearing the tinfoil hat? And that you're out of your mind, or am I? And I agree with you, or I'm just going to let you go. Go, let me go, and then at the end you can assess. Okay. All right. Oh, he has to sit down for this. That's right. It's good. That's important. Builds up the drama and suspense. Aaron Rodgers never really had any intention of playing again this year, and was very happy that the Jets failed him in his absence meaning they're out of the playoffs entirely, but he's still able to tout that he beat science and beat every other sports medicine industry because he would have been ready, but he's actually very happy that the Jets are no longer in playoff contention. I thought you were going to say he didn't actually tear his Achilles. You had one job. Okay. <laughs> what? I just played it before the intro. Let, let me react first right, to the first ahead. one. You go ready? Ahead. You heard that though, right? I did. All right, okay. One thousand percent. Have you noticed that everybody now starts answering everything? I don't know when this began with hundred percent. People are like, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes, I like that you went a thousand and chose your own lane. I respect that. Ten thousand percent. There it is. Aaron Rodgers is a phenomenal talent. He is one of the top ten to fifteen quarterbacks all time, probably in terms of natural skill. Yes. His ability to process on the field, throw across his body, maneuver, move in the pocket, all of them tremendous. He also is somebody who, while I don't know him personally, all indication he is there is a strange phenomenon about him that everybody close to him at some point He cuts out. He has like a narcissistic tendency times 5 million. And he, at some point in his career, as phenomenal a player as he is, and this is coming from, I mean, I love me some me, right? I'm on record of that. I love me some me. But Aaron Rodgers, without question, almost indisputably, Jimmy, is addicted to attention he needs craves loves wants attention and does whatever he can to create it for himself like for example i'm gonna wait another month and then come back and make my decision for next year you're under contract what what what, like, like he just created he created drama in green bay and then sat back and awaited the parade 
for eventually like getting rid of the drama that he created. So yes, 1000% correct. I believe that he had never any intention of playing this year because he knew that the demands of being able to walk out and practice and throw the football and play in an NFL game are literally two totally different hemispheres. And he knew that, but he was able to get out of it what he wanted, the attention, the drama, and the conversation, and two knuckleheads in Indianapolis to talk about it in the middle of the day. I agree. After the next one, can I please get the sound effect? You get it before. You don't get it on bookends. Well, I feel like it should be so short after each one because it has the eerie sense to it. It should be playing underneath the whole time. Well, that's what I thought, too. It's not playing underneath the whole time for other reasons. We'll move on. We have a production meeting. We probably should have. That would be helpful. Number two. Thank you. The Bears have no actual interest in trading Justin Fields, but they are continuing to insert these rumors about their uncertainty with him in the hopes of getting an offer they can't refuse. Eddie, would you like to field that one? Because I have my own immediate knee-jerk answer. Emphasis on jerk. (laughs) I'll let you go first. Patently false. Because if the Bears... Say it the way you just said it again. Paraphrase again. The Bears have no interest in trading Justin Fields, but they are still inserting rumors about it in the hopes that Maybe someone, a panicked, desperate quarterback team, will offer a war chest they can't refuse. But in reality, they want to use those picks to build around him. Um, I think that they, if they really, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't think that they are going to move him. I, I may be totally wrong on that. Are you thinking of a quarterback, though? What's that? Because both could be true. They could not move him and still go quarterback. That's correct. I think if they were really looking to see if they could get a good haul for him, it's in their best interest to not float any rumors at all and keep everybody guessing, and that actually would elevate the price more. By by insinuating or allowing it to be out there that he might be on the table, the, that diminishes the the value in the price. So and I think you keep it close to the best. If, if you really were waiting to see how big a haul you can get, then you don't do anything to insinuate that he is movable you make somebody prove that you would be willing to make him movable. I don't think they move the pick either way. Even if they decide they want to keep Justin Fields. No, I'm talking about moving him, though. Not the pick. I know. But you don't think they move the pick or him? No. Okay. I think they keep the pick and they select Marvin Harrison Jr. first overall. Because right now that other pick they have is pick five. You're not getting Marvin Harrison Jr. at pick five. If you really want to help Justin Fields and help him develop, you're taking Marvin Harrison Jr. first overall and there's a quarterback still there at pick five, you trade that pick and get what you can. I think you need as many players as you can. And if you're just trying to, you know, recoup picks, you're missing out on elite talent. So I will say, no, I do not buy what you are trying to sell me. Okay. I actually have one more I thought of on the fly, but so we have four in total. Number three. This one, the hat is on so tight that it's magnifying the congestion of the cold that Eddie gave me earlier this week. Okay. First of all, we've already settled that debate. I did not give you the cold. Yeah. Second of all, that hat would not fit on my head. Fair. That's right. You got a size nine and a half. <laughs> right. Fair. We've, we've established that. Okay, go ahead. It started with the false start calls on one Jawan Taylor after Chris Collinsworth made a big deal about it in week one, and it was impacted further by Kadarius Toney lining up offsides against the Buffalo Bills. But the NFL 
after being in controversy surrounding the Chiefs, cover their tracks by further calling those same penalties in a larger fashion than they did prior after it happens to Kansas City. For example, I have never seen, very rarely, maybe on like a count on one hand, the amount of times I've seen offensive offsides called off, which by the way, it was the right call. But then last week, saw it happen in like four or five games. The point of emphasis so, shifts so what you're saying based is, on what I happened say with false. Kansas City. I know this is going to be a Not false true. by both of you. Like I said, the hat is tight. Because when it happened live and after the game, Terry McCauley said that this is something they have been calling more this season already. He said it had been called like 20-something times this season compared to six last year. And I don't. that's a good point. Again, that's, that loosens the hat a little bit. But I saw it on a higher scale the following week. Than so I you're saying previously. you think the NFL had makeup calls to offset the severity of the call they had against the yes. Chiefs? Okay. Two things. Number one, that may be plausible. Number two, you never would have noticed it if it was the Arizona Cardinals. Correct. Or but if that play doesn't happen. The Sure. It was the right call, though, and I'll tell you why. And it will be called every single time, and I'll tell you why. I think probably my answer for you is this. You are wearing a tinfoil hat. You are a conspiracy theorist in this one. Correct. And the reality is it's – are you familiar with – I've used this term on the radio before. Do you know what Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is? No. Okay. Understood. I mean, it's a pretty weird term. Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is this phenomenon. And people in the cars, people listening at work right now are going to know what I'm talking about when I say it this way. Well, I? You're Yeah. Okay. You're you're in conversation with somebody, and they say some word, and you're like, "Wait, what? What? What did you just say?" And they repeat the word, and you're like, I- "I've never heard that word before." And they say, "Oh, well, it means the following." You go, "Oh, okay." And then three days later, you go, "God, the weirdest thing happened." I was at lunch with John, and he used this word I'd never heard it before, and I swear I heard like four people use it the next day. Okay, so the Bader Meinhof phenomenon is that something that is that is that you have witnessed and seen or heard before but never cognitively like made note of once it is pointed out to you then suddenly it becomes seemingly everywhere and you can't avoid it the lining up off of the line and not looking down at the official and checking which he did not do no he didn't look he down did not and, do. check, and again right? be clear that was the right call and but, that's why it was a penalty because yep. he didn't look it was such a critical play in a profile moment in a in the game of the week and so therefore it became on people's conscience all of a sudden and they became aware of it and then the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon came into play later in the week because you saw it in a Denver versus Washington game that you otherwise would never care about but it's being pointed out because now it's on the forefront of your brain so no conspiracy theory, but you were more aware of it and keenly aware of it because sure. of what happened in Kansas City. You said you got one more? I do. By the way, okay. they are they are targeting Jawan Taylor, the right tackle, but that's neither here nor there. There's Dana to back that up. We don't have time this segment. Last conspiracy theory. No, no one here cares. I know, go ahead. I know, I know. That's why I said it quick. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the Colts, this April or sooner, will move two first-rounders and maybe more, to move up in the draft to acquire Marvin Harrison Jr. Zero. No. Here's why. 
What year did LeBron James do the decision? 2010. In 2008, 2007, teams started, weird things started happening this, yes. in the NBA. Continue. But yes, I've heard this before. Yep. Weird things started happening because every team was like, hey, don't tell anybody this, but LeBron James is going to be a free agent. We're clearing all this cap space. We're going to have all kinds of money. We're getting ready. Correct. They all, everybody was doing it yep. thinking they were being sneaky. Same thing with Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay. They're not the only friend. I know will that his a team dad played here. Will a team do it? Will a team trade up for Marvin Harrison Jr.? No. Well, Eddie says no because he thinks he's going number one overall anyway. Yep. It'd be a good fit if it's Chicago. But do you think someone trades up? Let's say he doesn't go one. Let's say he goes three. Somebody trade up to get him? That's possible, yeah. Yeah, that's possible. But I, I don't think that the Colts... Look, Jim Irsay is really nostalgic. There's no doubt about it. Nobody loves former players more than the Colts. Sure. I mean, I almost felt bad like one of the years in the AFC Championship game when Ursay came out and he's like, now we're going to bring out for the coin flip. You know, he's a horseshoe guy. Welcome Raymond Barry. And, you know, people are like, Raymond Barry? So Baltimore Colts, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, let's look, you know, I remember the great Burt Jones, you know, I mean, he's one of the great horseshoe guys. Yeah, okay, in Baltimore pretty clear divide for a fan base right but he's very nostalgic about the the players and you know the the guys of his golden era for sure so i think it would be of importance to him but the problem is you're talking about a commodity that every team in the league and probably teams that have more to offer or more that they're willing to give up to get there would be able to do. Yeah, but is every team willing to go chips all in, man? <laughs> That's the question, all right? Oh, no, you're right. Oh, well, shit. But, but I mean, there, there are teams who, right now, as it stands, Period. who would be drafting in the top five? Who would be drafting the top five? I mean, five? I, I know Bears that there's twice. no way to know. Or, well, yeah, is it Bears twice still? Yep. I mean, it, yeah. Bears twice, New England. That'd be funny. Arizona. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Arizona could use a receipt. You know what I mean? I mean, there are a lot of teams that could Arizona use needs him. a quarterback. I'm sorry. Kyler Murray's not it. That may be true. That may be I'm true. I'm not now, saying you can't take a wide out still, but here's a funny thing about Marvin Harrison Jr. During the time that Marvin Harrison was playing for the Colts, there was something that would take place and like now it all makes sense. And it was a mystery amongst his teammates, not amongst the media even. But I'll tell you what it is in just a couple minutes. So three things Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Things were true about Marvin Harrison's tenure in Indianapolis. Actually, four. Marvin Harrison after games, I don't know that people realize this, but Marvin Harrison after games, like it was the fastest disappearing act ever. It was almost impressive. We in the media would go into the locker room after the game and he would already be gone. And I would, I was the one person, myself and Rich and I, so two. We were the two people that, you know, a lot of guys just wouldn't even go up and ask to talk to him because he never wanted to be interviewed. And I would go up every single game if we could 
catch up to him before he left and be like, hey, you got a second? Can we talk to you? And and more often than not, he would do it if you if you if he was ever actually there. But he would do it for like a minute or two, and then all of a sudden, it literally, it was like mosquitoes to a light. The other media members would see that he was talking, and everybody would hone in on him, and then he would cut it short and be gone. So one time I had to do an appearance with Marvin Harrison. I don't know Marvin Harrison well. I don't know that anybody does. Um, but I always thought he was a nice guy. I, I always enjoyed him. I know that he had you know this cloud of question about his life in Philadelphia, but I remember, I, so I had to do this event with him, actually, with kids. It was a nutritional deal when he was on the cover of the Wheaties box. And I asked him why that was. And he said, honestly, again, he goes, I get stage fright. I don't mind if there's one or two people there, but as soon as the lights come on from those cameras and a bunch of people get around, I never know what to say. So I just get uncomfortable and I avoid it. I'm like, okay. But then he would... In those days, the Colts would get Monday and Tuesday off if they won. So they would win on a Sunday, and Tony Dungy would be like, okay, we'll see you on Wednesday. And Marvin Harrison had a rack of Tasty Cakes at his locker. And kind of how you knew if he was there or not was how many Tasty Cakes were there. And finally, I asked another teammate of his once. I'm like, like, what's the deal with Marvin Harrison, basically? And they said, you know, it's weird. When we get those days off on Monday, Tuesday, it's not, you know, all of us kind of go and do whatever and we re- reconvene on Wednesday. And he's like, but Marvin leaves and immediately goes back to Philadelphia. And I, I don't know, he just disappears. He just goes to Philly and he's gone for two days and then he comes back and he lands like Wednesday morning and comes to practice and he's always on time. He's always there. And this was right around the time I can't even remember if it was at the end of his career or immediately following his career when the whole car wash shooting thing happened. And all of these stories came out in Philadelphia about like this almost like godfather-like lifestyle that he had in his neighborhood in Philadelphia. So I was asking players about it. And finally, one of them's like, actually, to be honest with you, I think he has a kid. And I'm like, what? And they're like, I, I think he has like a like his he has like a young boy. And he goes back, and that's why he goes back. Every Monday and Tuesday, he's going back to Philly because he's raising his son in Philadelphia. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, lo and behold, here we are, right? So all the times that people thought actually it was because he was – I'm not saying he probably wasn't doing some things at the car wash, but it was also was because even though a lot of his teammates didn't even realize it, he had a son that, guess what, everybody knows about now. Everybody. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, next. I'm going to be – Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Again, the Matt Taylor segment. Do we have any? Um, do we have any of the Holly music from the other day, by chance? I can get it back. The wonderful background Christmas music. The, Matt, the, the first set that you played. That's important. The second set was. It felt too somber. <laughs> it was borderline we funeral upbeat, music. Right? Yes, correct. Because here's what we're going to do for Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, and thank you to Shelby Materials for making this possible. The Concrete Nagard experts. That's right. We did a segment, and Matt wouldn't know this because, number one, he's a busy guy, and number two, he is a man of great intellect and, t- intellect and taste, meaning he doesn't listen to this program, but if but he would know that we did Santa Jake. Uh, 
Santa Jake is where you come. You sit on Santa Jake's lap and you tell him for your sports team what you need Santa Jake to deliver that is going to be the piece that is going to set the Colts over the, or or in this case, the Colts over the top, right? My mom's looking for a new hat right now. So, Matt Taylor, my question for you is this, and I'll get your your mom a new hat, you said? No, no, I'm just saying we mentioned the Von Maher element to the piano theme that Eddie has going on. (laughs) I I feel it. It's a time machine now. So, Matt Taylor, I need you to sit on. Next to, not on my lap, next to. I don't want to be too creepy here. I need you to let Santa Jake know what you would need for the Colts that is going to ensure for them a victory in Atlanta, but you have to begin with, of course, the request of, well, Santa Jake. So that said, go ahead. Well, Santa Jake. (laughs) Thank you. The the store hours are beautiful, by the way. Right in my wheelhouse. I'm I'm able to beat the line, so I appreciate that, Santa Jake. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yep. Um. I need I need a healthy Jonathan Taylor. I need a healthy Michael Pittman Jr. I need Jake Browning to throw some picks against the Steelers. I need let's see, I need the I need the Chargers under an interim head coach to beat the Bills. I need Isn't this where you cut off the kid and say, Whoa, whoa, do, little do boy, need, that's a lot hey, more asking. Do you need greedy now? Do you need Santa Jake to do anything uh to have any of his elves in Cleveland helping out? Brownie. I need I need Joe Flacco to play like it's uh, 2009 again. Okay. Uh, <laughs> continue to roll um, and uh, and beat uh, the the Texans. Uh, Trevor Lawrence still obviously banged up a little bit. Whether or not he's going to play in Tampa, Santa Jake. We're dealing with a lot of stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's listen, Matt. That's why I have elves, right? Like you've you've met Derek Schultz, right? Okay. <laughs> So, so Matt, here, let's let's get to this. Okay, the first question and request for Santa, um, Jonathan Taylor. Where do we stand in terms of the health and potential availability of Jonathan Taylor? Well, am I talking to you? or Am I talking to Santa? There's two, there's <laughs> two different answers there. I, I've I've put down the Santa hat, and it's, we're back to radio now. Sorry. He's not real. I, I, He's not that, real. That, that is not true, Jimmy. Santa is yeah. absolutely no. I was playing. I was playing Buddy I the know, Elf, I'm seeing that you. No, Santa is real. But I was <laughs> totally. saying we've taken off the beard. From you Santa sit on Jake. a phone of lies. Exactly. Thank you, Eddie. Yeah, this, uh, okay. is, this is this is this is unbelievable. I have two different answers because the magic of Santa will sprinkle some pixie dust on the right thumb of Jonathan Taylor and make him fine. That is true. That That's is true. That's what we're trying to do here. Um, no, but I mean Taylor's right now. He's he's out there practicing as we speak, going through his first practice um, since he had surgery a couple weeks ago. You know, got banged up in that late November game against the Buccaneers and uh, has had to shut it down since then. So. He talked to uh, reporters earlier this afternoon in the locker room and said that today is going to go a long way in in deciding whether or not he can play on Sunday. Uh, Whenever he's out there, whether it's, you know, this week, next week, whenever, um, he's going to be playing in a little bit of a wrap or, um, you know, not not necessarily a cast per se, but there's going to be some sort of brace or wrap that he's going to have to use on that right thumb. But uh, like I said, today is a really big day for him to uh, determine whether or not he can, you know, fully possess the ball, grip the ball, and have no ball security issues, uh, be able to hold up and pass protection and things like that. So, Again, today is a a big barometer um, and a big hurdle to to you know climb over to deciding whether or not he can play on Sunday. But 
Colts need them. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you got to tip your cap to Trey Sermon and Tyler Goodson and what they did. But um, again, Jonathan Taylor is just a, a different animal, belongs in a different bucket in terms of how talented he is. So um, to get him back would be enormous with three games to play. And like I said, you're trying to stiff arm all of those other eight and six teams out of the playoffs and continue your uh, your hold as the number seven seed in the uh, postseason pecking order. Where do we stand with Michael Pittman from a health standpoint? I think same thing, too. I think he's trending in the right direction. Um, he's still in the concussion protocol, but yesterday had the Colts practice. They they did list him as a full participant in their walkthrough. Again, that's an estimation of what they would have done with him had they practiced. Now, today, um, they're practicing in full, so you know, you'll find out in probably an hour or two what his status is for today, but I think he's out there practicing, and that's another good sign, which shows you that He's at least through a couple of stages of that five-step concussion protocol. Um, so, again, with his um, participation out there at all, limited-wise, um, yesterday, that, that tells you that he's at least you know, tracking um, you know, positively and has got at least a chance to play on Sunday, which is kind of crazy to say, considering the, the ferocity of that hit. It was an illegal hit, obviously, from DeMonte Casey. But just you know, watching it all happen in real time, then slowing it down on the replays, it's just a really, really difficult hit, very, very hard hit. Um, so I think it's just really impressive that he's just, quite honestly, just has a chance to play on Sunday. Normally, you know, you get a concussion. It's, you know, the, the odds are the numbers tell you that you're probably going to miss at least one game. Uh, percentages are not in your favor if you get a concussion to come back and play the next week. But you know, having his uh, availability um, at least at this point you know kind of a 50-50 proposition is a good sign for the Colts um, and another good news is you know they had guys step up DJ Montgomery stepped up just like Sermon and Goodson so they were able to kind of you know hide those deficiencies last week but certainly you'd rather play with Taylor and Pittman if, if you have the chance to. Voice the Colts Matt Taylor is our guest brought to you by Shelly Materials the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt I'm not going to ask you anything in regards to why or, or the conduct that was le- that led to the suspension of Tony Brown and Isaiah McKenzie but I will ask you schematically since you watch this team obviously every week and countless prep throughout the week how will their absence be felt if at all and how immediate will the absence be felt especially on special teams? Well, the special teams, you already found out. I mean, Tony Brown is a core special teams player, and it's just really unfortunate. There's no doubt about it. There's Because, I mean, you asked me, you, you stayed away, you know, what happened. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what happened. So, um you know that one I don't have to to dance around. I mean it's sure. it's it's very much a team issue and they're keeping it in house and uh close to the vest as they probably should. Um but you know it, somebody made a really good point the other day. It's it's not like this is a you know a 5 and 9 football team. It's not like it's a you know a Colts team that's Gonna you know for sure miss the postseason and they're trying to send a message and it's all about kind of establishing the culture. I mean it is, but in this situation it's 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 something where Shane Steichen saying I don't care for 
you know, going to clinch a playoff spot this week or we're just kind of playing out the string and we're going to evaluate the roster for next year. No, it doesn't matter. Like, if you screw up and you don't hold yourself accountable um, and you're doing some things that you shouldn't be doing, um, then, you know, it, it doesn't matter who you are and what time of the season it's, it's at. Um, there's going to be consequences. So, you know, from that standpoint, I do like it. I think it sends a message, and I think guys uh, respect that decision. Um, so you just have to, you know, you got to do your best, and you have to, you know, hold yourself accountable again on and off the field. And, um, you know, last week you saw – Josh Downs come in. I thought he did a really good job uh, of, of handling the, the punt and kick uh, kick return duties, especially there was one instance last week. I, I forget which quarter it was in. I think it was the third still a relatively tight game and uh, the Steelers were playing field position and they ripped off a really high um, kind of like that rugby style punt and it just hung up in the air for a long long time and Downs had a great deal of concentration and, and brought it in and he's not a guy that's obviously taken a lot of reps as the punt returner this year so I thought he handled it really really well um, but yeah not having Tony Brown is big too I mean, he's a core special teams guy he's part of a block uh, punt already this year uh, he covers kicks he covers punts um and he's also great in the return game too setting up returns for other guys um you know that's that's one thing that needs to be corrected these last two games you've had you know matt gay missing some kicks you've had uh, a block punt you've had a muffed punt you've had some big kickoff returns allowed the special teams leaky faucet has to kind of get turned off uh, in order for these last three games to go well for the Colts considering the margin of error they have you mentioned Matt Gay I want to get to that I know you do too Jimmy beforehand to put a bow tie on or a tie on um, this conversation about the the two players that we now know are, are gone and Isaiah McKenzie and Tony Brown from Brown's standpoint Matt you know he is a guy that primarily special teams but was an available body in the defensive backfield if you needed to go there I think he struggled in that role but he was a player that could be plugged in there do they do something or or, or bring somebody in now that is another emergency defensive back in that situation well, I, I think Tony Brown is a really serviceable nickel corner. And, and to your point, you know, they had to experiment with him on the outside in that Cleveland game, and it, it certainly didn't go well. Um, there's no doubt about that. But I think in terms of his, uh, you know, his value on defense, I think he's a pretty good nickel corner. I mean, obviously Kenny Moore is one of the best in the game, but, you know, you can play. And, and get by with Tony Brown. I mean, that's you know, using the the phrase "get by" is probably a disservice to him. But you, you follow me what I'm saying. But right. you know, that's where Nick Cross comes in. Nick Cross has been cross training and backing up three different positions this year. He's been backing up free safety, strong safety, and in a pinch, they can trust him to play nickel corner as well. So I think that's where you're gonna you're gonna feel the difference of of Tony Brown's absence. It, it's just more on on Nick Cross's plate as he continues to get more playing time here late in the season. Matt, I know that I believe, if I heard Eddie correctly, that he did practice today, but Matt Gay appears on the Colts injury report yesterday. They call it a right hip. I know we're getting speculative, but he's had a couple of hiccups over the last few weeks. Has that been an acknowledgement by the Colts that that is tied together, or are they not correlated? Are they just mere coincidences, and it's just something they're monitoring with him? 
Well, nothing verbally. I mean, I don't think Shane Steichen's been asked about it because, you know, the last time he spoke with reporters was before the injury report came out yesterday, which had Matt Gay on it as a limited participant, as you said, with that right hip injury. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's been the last two weeks have been a very uncharacteristic for, for Matt. I mean, he's missed four kicks in the last two games, including an extra point, a couple of those under 40 yards. Uh, I think it's the first time you know, last week was the first time he had missed two field goals in a game since his rookie season back in 2019. So he's really been the model of consistency, um, you know, with the Rams and, and now here with the Colts. Um, but yeah, it, it's concerning again because now you're talking about uh, a kicker that, you know, you want to be really trustworthy with over 50. Um, but, you know, he started the year five for five, but but since he's just two for his last six on kicks over 50 yards. And, you know, inevitably you're going to need that at the end of the half or end of the game with all these games coming down to the wire. You'd like to have a healthy Matt Gay, but, you know, it's it's not as if there is another kicker on the practice squad. I mean, they don't have another kicker on their team, which tells me, you know, the inference that I'm making there, it's got to be minor and manageable um, because, again, there's nobody else in the practice squad. They haven't made any other moves, and they haven't brought anybody else in here, to my knowledge, to, to work out in case they need to sign somebody in a pinch if, if Matt Gay is – on a, uh, you know unavailable to play and and you know not healthy enough to to give it a go so um yeah it's something definitely to monitor uh when when everybody saw that yesterday their their eyebrows kind of you know perked up a little bit but yeah there's no doubt Matt Gay is going to be a huge part of this team's success um to whatever degree in the last 3 games and you just hope that that hip injury doesn't um you know prevent him from knocking down some big kicks Matt Taylor is our guest. Of course, he is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Colts in Atlanta coming up this weekend. Matt, this time of year, you know, there's really two ways, two styles of teams that are in playoff contention. One is a team that does something so exceptional or plays in such a style that they have so patented that they're basically like, come and get us. See if you can beat it. See if you can stop us. The other is a team that might be somewhat limited, and as a result of that, they come up with different wrinkles and game plans to throw off the opponent and come from areas that you least expect it. Which team is this Colts team? Well, I think right now they're a little bit of both, to be honest with you, because, you know, Gardner Minshew's playing really, really well. I mean, he had his best game of the season last week. He had three passing touchdowns at three different guys. His passer rating was 123. Um, you know, and the Colts are creative in the sense that, you know, schematically they're hitting you with different things every week, a couple of different wrinkles from Shane Steichen. I think that's where you're feeling his presence this year compared to the last couple of years, kind of being game plan specific and um, an opponent defensive uh, specific. Um, but also, too, you know, kind of kind of predictable in that, hey, when it's time for us to take over the game, we can do that. And the offensive line can do that. I mean, I mean that 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 possession last week where they ran it 13 straight times and just completely dominated the Steelers, that was reminiscent of 2018-2019 of when the Colts certainly had the identity of you know being one of the best ground-and-pound teams with um, you know Marlon Mack at the time and then Jonathan Taylor in 2020. So I think the Colts can hit you with a couple of different ways, and 
I know, I know Shane didn't like that question that I posed to him earlier this week. You know, he's kind of a modest guy, but I said, you know, the, the way you beat the Steelers, man, that was Steichen ball. And you go back to his in, uh, initial uh, introductory press conference. He says, we're going to throw to score and we're going to run to win. And that's exactly how last Saturday went where they scored 30 straight points uh, after getting down early 13 to nothing. And then they were able to take control of the game by uh, some big plays through the air. They had a 42-yarder to Pittman, a 34-yarder to Montgomery. They had the big strike for a tight end to Mo Alley Cox for a touchdown. Um, and then, you know, in, in the late stages of this, the third quarter and fourth quarter, they just completely took the will uh, and the aggressiveness out of that Steelers defensive front by just pounding them with the ground game. So I think this Colts team is kind of like the New England Patriots from a model standpoint. You know, back in the day with uh, Brady and Belichick, it's like there's different ways to win a football game. There's a different way to win each game each Sunday, and the Colts are going to do whatever it takes to win that game, where some days it's scoring 30, 35 points, and there's going to be other games, you know, in Carolina or in, uh, in, in Germany against New England where it's it's really important for us today to not turn the football over and play conservative and, and put the trust in our defense. Um, so each week is kind of a, a different proposition for this Colts team, and I like that about the, the Colts under Shane Steichen, that they're being really game-specific and kind of being multitudes or having a multitude of ways, I should say, of, of moving the football and scoring points on offense. He is Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, presented by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, anytime someone prefaces it like this, I understand it's going to sound negative, but I'm not trying to undercut what the Colts have done because I do believe Shane Steichen belongs in the Coach of the Year conversation. Honestly, I think that that last game against the Texans, if it's for the division, could decide that award because D'Amico Ryan's made a solid case as well against Houston, but I digress. We had Nick Cross on earlier this week, and I asked him the same question I'm going to ask you. He gave me the player answer, which I expected, which is we just got to keep grinding, keep working hard, keep putting our effort out there, and it'll take care of itself. When you look at this Colts team defensively, because I think there are still weaknesses there, especially in the secondary at times, what about the way they play is repeatable when the competition gets tougher? In other words, when they close with Houston and then whoever they draw in the playoffs what would you push back against for somebody that says, well, yes, they've played great, especially on that side of the ball, the sack numbers included, but look at who they've played. What is repeatable for them when the competition gets elevated should they make the postseason? Well, I think it's the pass rush. I mean, I think right now not only is it is it repeatable, but it has been repeatable. And, you know, you're taking advantage of, of who you're playing. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, specifically within each team uh, or the opposition, you know, you, you've, you've been able to rack up a high sack total against some formidable offensive line units. Um, and that, to me, is the most encouraging thing about the Colts', the Colts chances, you know, these last three games and should they make the playoffs. Th- those things carry over. And you know, if if you end up playing outside in the month of January, uh, where it's cold and it's nasty, that's the part that typically shows up. You're still able to get after the the quarterback, and it's it's the sack diversity right now. I mean, you've got 14 different players on this Colts team with at least a half sack. Uh, I think you have four different guys with at least seven sacks. Um, Samson Ebicom is having a career year. He's got nine and a half sacks. So they're they're hitting you with. Um, you know, multi uh, layers, if you will, right? When that front four, uh, when those, when that front four, um, you know, the, the the defensive line, when those top four guys go out, 
another four come in, you know, like Tyquan Lewis and Eric Johnson. And, you know, you've got on the outside, Daiwa Dangbo and Quiddy Pay, and then you're hitting them with, you know, some reserve players um, that, that are still getting after the quarterback, like Jake Martin. I mean, some of these guys are really unsung heroes uh, within that defensive line that are doing the dirty work and some things that are not showing up in the box score. Is so Dio that, is Dio most important outside of DeForest, would you say, along the trenches? I think it's Samson. I yeah, think Samson's really? really turning into a terrific player. Not to take anything away from sure. Dio Adangbo, but I, I just think the consistency of Samson Abicom, I don't have it written down in front of me, but I did it the other day. You look at his last five games, I think he's got like – five sacks and like 10 quarterback hits and a bunch of tackles for loss. I mean, he's really coming on and he's got, I think a sack and a half and three of the last four ball games for him. Um, so he, he's really kind of turning into a force off the edge. And again, not to take anything away from anybody else that's been there. Um, but the, the sack numbers, the overall pressure numbers, I mean, that's leading to the takeaways too, right? You're, you're talking about hurried throws and overthrows that are leading to the interceptions. I mean, Julian Blackman's pick the other day, that was a clear or a classic case of, you know, that's an errant throw by Trubisky, and it goes right into the lap of Julian Blackman and a takeaway for the Colts. And, you know, same thing, you had EJ Speed ripping the ball out of Harris. And there's Blackman. One play later, they take advantage and, and hit uh, uh, Mo Alley Cox for a touchdown. So it's complimentary football like that that I think is transferable into the postseason. But to your point, Jimmy, I think you're, you're. I think it's fair to acknowledge that you know during this run for the Colts, they haven't had to play the San Francisco's and the Philadelphia's, and they haven't had to play Dallas. Right? They're playing a lot of parity teams. You know, they're playing Tennessee and Cincinnati and Tampa and Pittsburgh, but that's what most of the league is, and you got to, you have to separate yourself from those teams in order to make the playoffs. Then get a chance to play, you know, Kansas City, Miami, and whomever might be there in, in the postseason. Yeah, I don't fault them for that, right? You play what's there. I get it. Yeah. Hey, Matt, if you were to pull NFL players, take a survey. Do you, do you think that they would say their favorite reindeer is Blitzen or Vixen? Which one do you think ranks higher? <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're on defense, how can you not go with blitzes? <laughs> I know, but well, if you're on offense, Vixen might be your uh, your deer there, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, they they probably have a play call this this time of year because everything's really you know game specific or time of year specific or opponent specific. You know, like we we talked with Shane Steichen, like one of those trick plays they had for the Patriots game. Uh, they had it up on their call sheet. They called it Germany. Well, they didn't run it in Germany, but they ran it a couple of weeks later, I think, against uh, Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. But they, they kept it in the playbook. The the play call was Germany. So maybe this week the Colts have a uh, a blitz on defense coming off the edge, you know, a little – uh, you know, hey, it's Christmas Eve. You, well, know. you can't call it blitzing, though. You'd have to call it like y- y- something else, right? I mean, you have to get I, yeah, not, maybe not it's Prancer, like, I guess, but you know what I mean? Dasher, like, Comet. I don't comet, know. yeah, Comet's not bad. Yeah, 329 eggnog party at the quarterback or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, do you think – so like Peyton Manning was so famous, obviously, for the for all of the, the, the theatrics, right, at the line and all of the fake – you know, now we know. But yeah, the I dummy mean, calls, right? Yeah. The dummy calls, right? Is that esoteric to Peyton Manning, do you think? Or is that something, was he just the best at it, but every quarterback does it? 
No, I think everybody does that. But I think I think Peyton took it to a new level. Like I think it was really extreme. You know, I mean, even even guys that that played with him will tell you, like, I don't even know what he's talking about. I don't even know what that means. I think he's just shouting things to shout things to keep the. But do you <laughs> think they have a little bit? Do you think they have Matt? Matt Taylor's our guest, and this stuff is pretty fascinating. I think to people, like for example. You know, Manning would come out and be yelling out, you know, Louisville Soul Train, Louisville Soul Train. And then, but somewhere in there would be a word that was a code word to the line, meaning, right, right. meaning this is all bunk, so tune me out. So as soon as they hear chocolate, they know that that means everything I'm saying is false. Right. Do, they st- do you think they still do it in that form? Probably. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like a third base coach. You know, like as soon as you see the one thing you're looking for, he's going to give you a bunch of other hand signals and gyrations and movements. But, you know, it's all just for show to keep the the other dugout at bay once you see, hey, the bunt is on based on what I saw. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, Reggie Wayne a couple of weeks ago, I think it was Stephen Holder who did a story about that similar topic and he asked Reggie Wayne about some of the stuff that Peyton used to do with the line of scrimmage um, and Reggie said like he's just shouting like people's girlfriends and their wives names out the line of scrimmage or like who's who's Jane who's Paula I don't even know who you're talking right. about you know what I mean just to to get that extra edge and that's what this game is you're, you're just trying to get such a you know any sort of advantage or edge you can at the line of scrimmage to put just a shadow of a doubt into those defenders' heads so that they're playing just a half a second, you know, or a fraction of a second slower in their reads off the line of scrimmage and off the ball, just so you get that leverage, you know, with a slot receiver on the edge, or you're trying to get that that deep shot down the field. That's what this game is. It, it's all cat and mouse, and Peyton was uh, he was the maestro of that. See, see, Matt, here's the thing: the segment that we do with you is the Louisville Soul of this radio program, meaning that this is the part where that's what you want to hear and see from the third base coach. The rest of it, all completely crap, right? I mean, my my part, absolutely, hundred percent. There's no doubt about that. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we, it's, it's Christmas, man. Let's just have some fun and <laughs> that's let's right. Just, let's just fill it up. We'll fill up the airwaves, and hopefully, you can learn something from you know a twenty minute conversation. When here. you were a kid, tell me the Christmas gift that you most remember begging Santa for that you wanted more than any other during your childhood? Oh, it was Sega. Yes. 100% Sega. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember it like it's yesterday. I walked down, and I don't know about you guys, but did Santa wrap your presents, or did he just lay them out? No, Rap. Santa wrapped He wrapped them. He took the time. Yep. Did he? No. See, see Santa at my house. See, my, my mom my mom and dad would wrap presents, but Santa would just drop off the big stuff. Ooh, okay. And that's how it worked. Well, uh, but I, I'll, I'll never forget when Santa dropped off. Uh, you, had, you had a union Santa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my... my um, my, my Santa was, uh, he was hourly. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he, he burnt the early hours at Jimmy's house and my house wrapping gifts and was out of time, right? Uh, but yeah, Santa actually took the time to like hook up Sega. Remember you had to have the co-ox that went from the TV to Sega? Sure. You know, you had to have that little splitter there. And now Santa, you say Sega, was, I say Sega. You you go Sega, is that right? Say Sega. Sega? What What am I saying? Sega? I think you said it's, Sega. It, it, it's Sega? Sega, right? Like S A Y G. I know it's spelled S E G A. I've but, heard it both ways. Okay, so so you had actually, and this is impressive. Actually, you had a, a fully electronic savvy Santa. Yeah, I mean, he took the time, took wow. it out of the box, unwrapped it, He's installed it, hooked it up, and uh, like the actual cartridge. 
Sonic the Hedgehog cartridge was already in it. All I had to do is, man, you know, flick flick on the power button on on Sega, and I was ready to roll. I got Sonic the Hedgehog. I got Joe Montana football, nineteen ninety four. That was the, which, Bill Walsh's college football was great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you no, got a cartridge I mean, I and a pear play. tree. That's pretty awesome. I the same play <laughs> on Joe Montana over and over for touchdowns. And uh, NHL 94, I mean, nice. remember those days where you could, like, do up, down, left, right, A, Listen, B, A, B. That was the code to, like, get all the, the all-stars on the same Matt, team or whatever. I have told the story here before many times. The NHL, you want to talk about the, the beauty of video games and its translation to young people – when I was in college, so I'm obviously a few years older than you, but when I was in college and NHL 94 came out, literally every college guy in America had a favorite NHL team and favorite player. Pavel Bure was a huge one on that game. Yeah, yeah. Based on that, and, and I mean, guys were chomping at the bit for the NHL season because they suddenly, it was a newfound toy, the, this new league that everybody was super into because of that video game, and then the NHL went on lockout. And by the time they came back, man, everybody was on to something different. They were on to yep. the new next fad. And it was FIFA's it was done totally that to agree. some extent to a smaller level with What's soccer. That? Like a lot of people in totally. my generation totally. might not be soccer That's fans. That's why IndyCar has tried desperately to get a video game going, right? Because it's, it's did, just did such they, a huge... Did they have a video game at one point? Didn't they have a game on PlayStation? Well, they did. So IndyCars had different variations years ago. I mean, it, Michael Andretti had one and things like that. But in terms yeah. of the newest like installation thereof, they had one that they were developing for right now. And the company that they partnered with, I think backed out of the project or or went under or something like that so they're kind of back to square one unfortunately. um but like well, formula one i think it's done a lot for it too right i mean sure. all those I mean, we we played that game non that nba jam oh. joe montana football i mean the, the sound oh. effects like the grunting and the hitting at the line of scrimmage on joe montana football just like if i heard that right now it would transport Instant me childhood right yeah, it would transport me into my living room with like my four buddies from uh, elementary school, Listen. plus like my three buddies that lived down the street in my neighborhood. <laughs> like that would just transport me to like uh, a big bowl of Doritos and popcorn sitting right next to me, playing that for about eight hours. Just on a don't night. transport yourself back to Christmas Eve at about eleven o'clock because Santa doesn't want anybody watching and putting <laughs> things together. That's he's all still, part of the yeah, surprise, right? He's filling out his time card at that point. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Matt, Merry Christmas, man. Have a safe trip down to Atlanta. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. I appreciate you guys. You have a good holiday. All you right, too. you too. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, courtesy of Shelby Materials. What about you, Jimmy? What was the toy that like you had to have? Got a PS2. It was my first gaming console that was right. ever really my own. Matt in 2001. Oh, takes me back. Eddie? I was trying to think there. I don't know. I remember one year. I was never big into video games until I got into high school. There was, okay, there was one album. Now, I'm that old. That I actually have it on, I still have it on vinyl. A vinyl I was going to ask, okay. There was an album that I wanted more than life itself. And I ended up getting it. It was the one, I got it and was thrilled. And I still own it. And I also am now, even more so than ever, completely bewildered over the fact that it was released and that I got it for Christmas. You guys stew on that. We'll play it on the flip side. Now I'm telling you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love 
hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It is virtually impossible to explain how massive this was. Maybe it's because I was a kid. But think about this. Oh, I could do the whole thing. Running the ball is like making romance. I mean, I can do the whole thing. To give Chicago a Super Bowl champ. The Bears are doing it to feed the needy. I, the Bears, the 85 Bears. Now, I grew up in Indianapolis, okay? When I was in the fifth grade at Allisonville Elementary School, Mrs. Umamura comes to me, my teacher, and says, Mrs. Wright needs to see you in the principal's office. Now, now was that just a Tuesday for you at that not point? Uncom- no? I was okay, just going to say, say not uncommon, <laughs> right? So I go down to Grace Wright's office, and she says, I wanted to let you know that your mom called, and I agreed with your mom that we needed to let you know for sure before like anybody else. And I thought, did someone die? And she said, they just said on WIBC radio that the Baltimore Colts have arrived in Indianapolis, and we have an NFL team now. I'm like, holy cow, we have an NFL team? But what'd you do? It Did you just run in the hallways? Like that's 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 a, a once in a lifetime type of totally. moment. There was such a. There were already. I think we already had Indianapolis Colts T-shirts because it had been rumored for so long. You know, it was rumored, and then it, I remember. I still remember the the headline in the Indianapolis news: um, Colts to Indianapolis back on back burner. Because like there, it was rumored, and then and then it, they were no, they were actually going to go to Phoenix, and you know, I mean, there were. So, and then at one point there was a, and I think a lot of people forget this, the USFL had a team called the Boston Breakers that had also been in Portland. There were, And the Boston Breakers, before they went to Portland, it was rumored that the Colts, or excuse me, that Indianapolis was going to get a USFL team and the Boston Breakers were going to come here. So to answer your question, yeah, I was like, I wasn't super giddy about the fact it was the Colts because the Baltimore Colts in 1984, Jimmy, were... And it was a different era because you didn't have the nonstop NFL coverage, right? You only had like two games a week and whatever else. You just never saw or heard of the Baltimore Colts. I mean, they were literally the they they were the the Pittsburgh Pirates of of football. You know, the team that everybody knew didn't spend any money, and you know they were terrible. They didn't have any great players, but it was still like holy cow! Like, and I remember my mom getting me a Balt or an Indianapolis Colts T shirt. But I was such a diehard Steelers fan because we all had our teams. But but the two teams that locally you would see or that you would go and like when Shell had like, a, you know, Shell gas stations, you could get a, like a pint glass or, or I called it a milk glass because of my age. The, the Bears and the Bengals were the two teams that that everything was available around town. But they also were basically stuck in relative anonymity outside of this area because the the but the Bears had Walter Payton, 
The Bengals weren't very good. Ken Anderson was a good player, but they were they didn't win a lot. They they managed to beat the Steelers every year, but the Bears had Walter Payton and that was the deal. And then the 85 Bears came along and it was the second season that the Colts were in Indianapolis. So they weren't really established here yet. And a lot of my friends at school were Bears fans for the aforementioned reasons. I was a Steelers fan because my dad was in the steel business. But the the 85 Bears were so good. I, I mean, they were a juggernaut. And so we would go as a family because my par- parents had lived in Chicago before I was born. We would go every year this time of year to Chicago for the weekend to, as a family, go on Michigan Avenue and Christmas shop and whatever else. And in December of 85, the Bears lost their only game to the Miami Dolphins. They went on Monday Night Football and they lost to the Miami Dolphins and Dan Marino and the 85 Dolphins. And the next morning in Chicago, they recorded the Super Bowl shuffle and released it like a week later. So the week that my family went to Chicago for our weekend, the Super Bowl shuffle was everywhere everywhere and think about that a team released a song called the super bowl shuffle about how they were basically going to win the super bowl not only recording it after their only loss but releasing it then and the entire country it billboard charted it was that big didn't know this until just now received a grammy nomination yes it was huge it was massive and all I wanted was the Super Bowl shuffle on vinyl because when we were in Chicago, it was like when it was released and it was ever. I mean, you went into any store and there were just stacks of it, the album everywhere. And it was, of course, a fundraiser. But think about in today's world when we want to nitpick everything and we want to call out arrogance and cockiness and calling your shot and, and you know, doing stuff away from the field and being distractions and everything else. Think about today if a team, no matter what team it was, came out and, and and a big part of you know Jim McMahon was you know I'm the punky QB known as McMahon when I hit the turf I got no plan like ironically being from Brigham Young University but McMahon was the guy that was the one that people were like man this dude's just so cocky and whatever else and he had the great Monday night game in Minnesota but I think the part of the reason the Bears were able to get away with it is because Walter Payton was their epicenter star and Walter Payton was seen as the total antithesis of any of that sort of of arrogance or you know he he was the classic consummate professional total gentleman always like sportsmanlike guy who had just been on terrible teams and been a one man wrecking crew as arguably the greatest football player to ever play the game so they could kind of get away with it because they're like yeah but Walter Payton's the one like in the front of all of this right and he was just like this beloved character. But I sometimes I look back on it, Jimmy, and I'm like, th- can you imagine if today the... Oh, it gets skewered. Oh, if anybody. like The they, Golden they State contender. Warriors came yeah. out with like the, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever you want to call it. Sure. I mean, it's different to drop it after you've won it. But the idea of doing it when there's still games before. to be played. I mean, and then at the Super Bowl... I'll never forget that year's Super Bowl. We watched it at Marshall Gephardt's house, and we had a Super Bowl shuffle lip sync contest, which I won, of course. But <laughs> in the basement of his house, I mean, like our entire, like you know, all of us were there. All the our entire. I'm trying to think. It would have been seventh grade. Our entire seventh grade group was there. I mean, it was massive, man. 
But it was fun. I'll say that. It was fun. Now, if you go back and watch now the Super Bowl Shuffle video, have you seen the video for it? I have. It's been it, a minute, but I have it seen it. It is the most like stare at the floor, awkward. There's there's like three or four um guys. I mean, I'm assuming they were like practice squad and or like maybe reserve lineman guys, but there's like three or four never heard of them before doing the white man overbite like dance back and forth with a saxophone tied around their neck that are so incredibly awkward and uncomfortable it's just ridiculous cringeworthy as they say today cringeworthy beyond yeah the shuffling crew chorus well leslie frazier was in there uh sean gale jim morrissey linebacker keith ortego a wide receiver then you had tyrone keys on the keyboard that's only fitting Stephon Humphreys on the drums. Dennis Gentry, who was a running back, was on the bass guitar. And, and of course, Mike Tomzak, right? The quarterback, the backup quarterback on the acoustic guitar, by the way. Steve Fuller, the back, the, the, the primary backup quarterback, was one of the vocals. Had to have some cowbell in there. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, man. There, you watch it now, and it was so like one, one to use again, 1,000%. It was so 1,000% cool guy NFL like smooth Miami Vice level coolness back then and you watch it now and you're like he's cringeworthy <laughs> is the perfect perfect word to describe it absolutely perfect uh you got some plays you've been working for for the other side I do and I'm sure Eddie has some as well maybe you don't want to speak for him but I do if you are just joining us by the way what we learned on the program today a couple of things Matt Taylor's Santa Claus actually didn't wrap anything he prepared all of the gifts right there for you which is Fantastic. Jimmy thinks there's a conspiracy against the Kansas City Chiefs. That is the least surprising news of the day. And Eddie is actually named for Eddie Van Halen. That's educate and entertain if I've ever heard of it. Eddie is named for Eddie Van Halen, who not only was one of the great guitarists of all time, but also, of course, married Valerie Bertinelli, whose television show was epicentered right here in Indianapolis. And we've never figured out what side of town they probably lived on for one day at a time. But I think John and I one time convinced ourselves that she would have gone to either Tech or Pike, two totally different areas of town. But that's where she and Mackenzie Phillips would have been going to high school. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, first in Thursday night football. Derek Carr is going to throw a pick tonight over half an interception. I know Jake loves those type of prop labeling, so he throws at least one pick tonight, does Derek Carr of the New Orleans Saints when they're in L.A. against the Rams. Going to take the Rams point total on this one as well, over 22 and a half. They give you options, so that's at about minus 180. You can fluctuate it as much as you would like for different odds. In Pacers-Grizzlies tonight, it's going to be a shootout. Give me Tyrese Halliburton over 37 and a half points plus assists. That's been a good one for us. Did not hit the other night, though. Also, Jago's over 30 and a half this evening for the Memphis Grizzlies. But the Pacers ultimately win at plus 124 is the juice there. Eddie, what do you have? Um, I went the other night. I took Desmond Bain over three and a half threes. Tonight, I will go under three and a half threes. Talked about it earlier with the way that the Pacers defend. They run those shooters off the three-point line. And Desmond Bain has shown at times this year he's willing to take it to the basket and attack. So, I'll take the under three and a half there. I don't know if I can take Jaw. It's a little too much for me, so... I will take in football, though, I will take the Rams minus three and a half. By the way, thanks to our buddy J-Law for pointing out Desmond Bain, who you mentioned, his grandfather, 1977 Indiana All-Star out of Richmond, Robbie Willis. He was All-Star number nine in the 1977 Indiana All-Star team, Ray Tolbert, the Mr. Basketball that year. Um, 
You guys got big plans. So, Eddie, you are gone tomorrow, right? Yep, going to finalize my Christmas shopping, and I will be gone tomorrow. So, basically, you came in here while hacking up a lung, and then now that you're healthy, you're taking the day off. Sure. Okay. Yeah, hey, the perks of the CEO, man. That's just that's right. As the, <laughs> the CEO, the you can do itself. those things, right? Um, it'll be interesting tonight. I, Thirty and a half, you said, is the over. Yeah, it's a, it's a jump of six points from what it was from his return to the floor the other night against like the Pelicans. Price. Correct, <laughs> correct. It was twenty four and right a half before then. the holiday. We just bolted everything up, right? Now it's thirty and a half for him. He averaged about twenty seven, twenty eight for his career. I think they're going to need thirty or more for him. For this to be a highly competitive affair, plus the way the Pacers play, I think he gets to that number. Jake, the, the bottom line of all of this is this a critical stretch. We've said it a couple times already this week for the Pacers before you get Eddie hit it with me again. What, 16 of what? for 23. 16 of 23 in 2024 out of the gate for the Pacers. Matchups against playoff teams. Memphis tonight on the road, then at home against Orlando, at Houston, at Chicago versus New York. I have a little bit of cushion here because they already beat Charlotte. I want a 5-1 and one stretch here from the Pacers. They already have one win to that total before 2024 begins. Uh, if you are out and about right now, and I think a lot of people are starting to prepare for the holiday, of course, weekend with Christmas coming up on Sunday, right? Christmas Eve on Saturday. Is that right? No, Christmas no, Monday. Christmas, Christmas Eve, Sunday. Sorry, Christmas Eve, Sunday. So heading into the Christmas weekend, I should say. I think a lot of people tomorrow starting to ramp that up a little bit. A good way to start it, you can actually go out to Britain Tavern off Monday Road up in Fishers as JMV is going to be broadcasting live. What better thing to do to get an early start on things than enjoy a cold beverage, listen to John, and meet the others that have come out, whether it be a Diet Coke, a cold beer, whatever it might be that you are out there. John will be happy to have you at Britain Tavern coming up. Um, that game tonight, again, back to it. I think John Morant... The one thing that I'm curious about is coming off of the game that he had, whether he has kind of sophomore slump in games is the wrong way of saying it, but if there's a letdown, because yeah. you, you had such an energy boost, right, in, in terms of that first game back and hitting the game winner, does he does he carry that on? You know, we shall see. Uh, Eddie, I can't tell with the clock. Is that a minute to go, or are we over now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> we got a I, minute. I can't tell if you look up. We have the old fashioned. I know how to tell time, right? Yes, but but it gets real tricky there between a fifty five and a fifty six. I can't tell on that. Clock. I want I want to dish out a shout out if I can, Jake. You'll appreciate this. Uh, my wife Haley Cook, shout out to her, is involved with the Junior League of Indianapolis, and she's just texting me. Figured you'd appreciate this. Uh, Firefly has won their community assistance grant for the league, so twenty thousand uh, dollars grant for Firefly there from the Junior League of Indianapolis. And Firefly, um, formerly the Children's Bureau. Uh, I'm telling you, I've gone through there. I've seen the work they do in helping out and facilitating families and putting kids in better situations and helping families to to lift themselves up. So that is outstanding and very, very, very much appreciated uh, because every child, especially this time of year, of course, should be able to uh, feel the miracle of Christmas, and that's just one of them. All right, we're back at it tomorrow at noon. John's up next from Britain Tavern. Have a wonderful afternoon, everybody.